Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Fantasy Fangirls Podcast, where two sisters dive deep, deep, deep into love and fantasy lore, character theme series, and more. Before we dive into our second to last fourth wing deep dive episode, wow, can you believe that, Nicole? We only have one more episode after this. I can't. (laughs) We do have just a few things we want to mention. Fantasy fangirls, friends, we listen to you and we now have merch available. We have stickers, we have shirts, we have sweatshirts, we have tote bags, we have a snuggly fantasy fangirls blanket. Of course, you can find God fucking damn it, Dane, all up in there. My favorite thing actually in the store, Lexi, I actually just added this last night, is a God fucking damn it, Dane candle and you can light it. I love it. I'm ordering myself one. It's apple crisp. It's perfect for fall. I'm so excited. The link to our store is in the show notes and it's also on all of our social media profiles. Go get your merch on. And of course we have our content warning. We a fantasy fangirls podcast are adults who say adult things about an adult book. Just so you know, five is indeed the magic number for Zayden Ryerson. If you know, you know. We also talk spoilers, everything from the entire Fourth Wing book, the Iron Flame excerpt and speculations, and of course, anything from Rebecca Yaros is on the table. So if you don't know why Violet thinks Zayden is the biggest cliche, then go listen to the audiobook. We will be here when you're done. Friends, it is time to go Beyond the Wards. Dun, dun, dun. And one more thing. Fantasy Fangirls is now on Patreon. Yes, you'll get more content from us and get more out of this community. Plus, this kind of support is the absolute best way to help us a Fantasy Fangirls keep giving back to you, our incredible community. There are two tier options that you can join at and the content includes things like a Discord, monthly live Q&As, discounted merch, our outlines. Yes, the 30 to 45 pages ones. Early access to episodes and more. We understand that everyone might not be in a position to support us in this way and that's totally fine but if you are and you enjoy this content you want more of it and you want to support Nicole, myself, and our growing team we would so 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 appreciate you joining our Patreon. The link to learn more about our Patreon is in the show notes. Now back to the episode. Before we begin our dive into this stretch of chapters, let us begin with our battle brief, or as you know, the summary of what happens in chapters 31 through 35. Nicole, I'm very excited to hear today's. I wrote this a little um, wine drunk last night. So we're gonna <laughs> I know, that's why I'm excited. <laughs> Chapter 31, Zayden knocks on Violet's door and boy, oh boy, is this man ready for seconds. But as they're cleaning up the previous night's escapades, asking, how was your day, honey? A very sneaky hidden note falls out of Violet's copy of the Fables of the Baron. Papa Soringale has written a letter. And despite what our dynamic duo says, this cryptic letter, quote unquote, is not so cryptic for us re-readers. Changing the subject rapidly, though, Zayden is like, so, uh, you ready to fuck again? Let's do it. Let's go. But Violet calls him out on his BS. You're going to fall for me, Zayden Ryerson. And he retorts with an incredibly untruthful, am not. These two banter in a way that I would never have been able to have the willpower to stand my ground and Violet shoves him out montage a month has passed and Violet is still holding strong despite the fact that they have crackling sexual tension every night as they spar honestly I'm impressed no one came but Violet decides to have her fun and take it to another level threatening to get naked get on her knees Nicole style in the middle of lunch and this causes Zayden to 
choke on his food. Nice. We then have another mini montage. We're in Battle Breathe and an absolutely emotional, distressed Violet blurts into her mind-to-mind connection with Zayden, telling him to take her to bed. But he jokingly just like brushes it off. This sends our girl into a spiral of anxiety. We feel you, Vi. Where she convinces herself that Zayden is blowing off some steam with Imogen. Dun, dun, dun. Later that night, it's time for the reunification celebration and our squad looks what? Liam and Violet make their way through the party when King Tari, Melgren, and Lilith all have a very interesting conversation with them, followed by a very interesting moment with Dane. Yes, we will be talking about it. Violet can feel Zayden is having a bad night, so she searches out for her boo, finally finding him on the parapet. That was all chapter 31. On to chapter 32. Violet steps onto the parapet and notices how different things are since she last stepped onto this motherfucking death trap. Most notably, she's in a fucking skirt that might as well be singing, come sail away, come sail away, come sail away with me. As she's walking to Zayden, it hits she is in love with this man and we have a hundred pages left of this book so dun 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 but when Zayden is like what the hell are you doing here she convinces him to go back to solid ground with her and guides him to his room (sighs) Violet commands her man to sit down and begins taking care of him tucking him into a little nighty night but boy oh boy does Zayden have different plans for this evening and in what is a little over two minutes these two are naked and ready to go and and bang, 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 bangity bang. I said a bang, 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 bang. One turns into three, which turns into five. And damn, these two lovebirds are going at it like Taryn and Segale when Tan decides to first start channeling. Huzzah! But a pounding on the door startles these two. It's cock block Garrick. And he says the whole quadrant is being called to formation. They are under attack. Dun, dun, dun. That's so beautiful. I'm so proud of you. <laughs> Chapter 33. Zayden and Violet rush to enter the formation courtyard. Violet meets up with her squad and Ree is stoked to see Violet in Zayden's letterman jacket. And they get orders. It's fucking war games. All of the wings will be riding off into a region in Navarre, each squad getting to choose their own location, but wing leaders are assigned to one as headquarters, and Zayden's is Athbeen, which should sound familiar to us, and it's beyond the wards. 30 minutes later in the flight field, Violet and the rest of second squad are ready to roll out, but Shadow Daddy Zayden demands his girl to be on his crew. Dane, however, is horrified, convinced that Zayden is taking her onto his team so that he can get her killed. The irony is not lost on us there. But Violet lets her allegiances show and Dane in a true God fucking damn it Dane moment says, oh, miss you, Violet. God fucking damn it Dane. Chapter 33. After flying for many, many, many hours, the Zayden crew lands in a lakeside forest mountaintop. So lovely to our Colorado hearts. Grade A boyfriend Zayden gives his girl a leg massage and it sends my pulse skyrocketing. But what's that? Is that the sound of betrayal in the air? Oh no! Griffin flyers have arrived and Zayden has to stop Violet from pulling a fucking Thor and he passes her off to Liam. Woof, this is not a good look for our guy Zayden. But then the look gets even worse as Zayden strides towards these Griffins with a, you're fucking early. 
Chapter 35, Zayden Ryerson, get ready to take some L's, my guy. He talks to the Griffin Flyers and we learn that there is a horde of Venon. What? Heading north to attack a village and the Griffins are about to go to their aid. But don't mistake their warning for kindness. These flying fucks are assholes. Outright declaring that Violet would never help them. But then Zaddy comes in with a touch that Sorengale and you're dead. <laughs> Zayden explains everything-ish to her and fucking brilliant woman that she is she starts to piece it all together with a little assistance from Papa Sorengale's not so cryptic note. Venon are real leadership knows about them. They're hiding beyond the wards. The only thing powering the wards is what can kill Venon The, the Griffin attacks are all for this Venon killing substance If you're not watching on YouTube you just missed something spectacular from Lexi. Basically her whole world gets turned upside down. They take to the sky and land at the Athmine outpost, which is surprisingly, not so surprisingly, abandoned. Just as Liam and his handy dandy farsight starts to see something really bad, we get the assignment from none other than Dane the Stain's dad. Survive if you can. Dun dun dun. Oh dear. Oh no. Oh dear. Shoot. <laughs> you gotta make these summaries fun, right? <laughs> I don't know what I'm gonna do next episode. I'm gonna just weep into the microphone during oh, the god, summary. Oh god, we can't even talk about next I'm not episode. I'm not ready. I'm not ready. Oh my gosh. Everybody's gonna have to bring their tissues. We have an action-packed episode here, but I guess when do we not? Getting there to the climax of this whole book. Climax, until- you say? <laughs> is it one to three or five? <laughs> I'd say technically this book kind of has two, and this is the one that leads up to the big one, right? You know? <laughs> I know that feeling <laughs> it is time for us to tap into our signet power it's time to go into the key insights reflections foreshadowing and all of our favorites theories so we have to start with the book of fables and the moment where Zayden and violet are in her room this is right before Zayden's like let's go again seconds round two you know but they have this moment where violet is picking up the book of fables which is a very fragile book and so much happens in this stretch. I find it notable that Zayden even notices and picks up her book of fables in the first place. Like, it makes me think that he's got to be familiar with these fables too. And I wonder if seeing her book might incline him to open up a little bit. It's only after he sees this book that then he shares with her about Athbane. So I wonder if that was another little plug that it's like, oh, okay, maybe when the time does come, like she's already got a foundation here and she's smart. And then of course the letter from daddy just was like, all right, cool. I got him on my side here too. <laughs> this moment also made me think about when she's the key to everything I need when right when she wields lightning for the first like official official time and if he is familiar with the brother's story which I think we were both in agreement we think he is yes he would know that the third brother commanded the sky he would know that she is the person who can kill venom when even Dragonfire can't it makes that line so much more weighted so I do wonder if he's like picking it up to be like hey look at this (laughs) Like, like so on purpose now after they have this moment she asks him she's like tell me something real which I love that that's like their real or not real moment like you know from Hunger Games but Zayn admits to her that he was in Athbean we of course find out later that this right here is the moment that Dane looks into her memories and he pulls this information and he uses it against them at the end right so we're gonna really dissect this little part here I want to share he tells her about Athbane the next morning after their crux 
Jacqueline Knight, which I think gives enough distinction between her memories for Dane to indeed have gotten the specific memory from Violet. You know, like a lot of people, including us, we fairly speculate how Dane would steal this memory about Zayden, but not the fact that Zayden and Violet are intimate with each other. It's a good question, right? Like how how does he get this information, but not the very, very vital other information that was also surrounding this time. But it goes back to my belief that Dane's searching for information within memories. He finds what he's looking for, and this memory was not while they were just snuggling after sex, right? There is enough of a distinction between the two events for him to be able to pull one and not automatically get access to the other one. I think that it's also possible that leadership suspected something with Zayden and Dane was looking for that confirmation about Athbane. That might have been, you know, like the best way I can describe like his way of getting this confirmation or kind of like having already an idea of it and then just going further to get the, you know, 100% of the info. It's like, you know, plugging into his Google search. He goes in knowing-ish what he's looking for. And then of course, that's what he's going to find and uncover. And he was not specifically looking for Zanin and Violet banging. Well, like right after they have this conversation, they have like their little standoff or their pretend like I'm going to pretend like I'm not thinking about you like and I just love that like if Dane is doing his Google search like he missed two very sandwich moments of like hey these two (laughs) fucked like capital F fucked and just totally went over his head so Violet's dad's note this for me cements and I think I even remember this on the first read like this cements that Violet's dad was killed by leadership I'm assuming maybe by Lilith I personally don't think so but there's a lot of theories out there when around that there's no way that he sent Violet something like this even as hidden as it was clearly knowing something was sus and did not get got like there's no way but here's what we learned from this note he's assumed that she still went to the scribes quadrant so that whole Lilith making that change six months after he died that was not even on their at least not on his radar it's dated just a few months before he died this is a quote it only takes one desperate generation to change history even erase it that's going to come into play later and another quote you always have been the best of both your mother and me woof Lexi dissect it you you have <laughs> such good notes here I'm, I'm just gonna hand you the mic dissect it I didn't even know where to begin with dissecting this letter right like I you know now with all of the knowledge that we have I, I'll be honest I feel like the letter is pretty self-explanatory right <laughs> 100%. Yeah. So there, that's it. That's all we're going to talk about. Just kidding. Oh, <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. I was all like, right. you have a page of notes right here, ma'am. <laughs> so let's talk about the, you know, how folklore is passed from one generation to the next. This book is all about the previous generation rising up in this rebellion and then getting put back in their place. There's a lot of past generations. That's just a common theme in this book. Now it's the new generations, you know, our main characters, their generation. It's their responsibility to teach this history. And while, yes, Violet dad is referring to this generation you know, 400 years ago at face value I think that he's also implying that this desperate generation erasing history is his own oh yeah right Absolutely. It's his own who they're not necessarily erasing history, but they're making sure that history stays erased. They are grabbing the SpongeBob pencil out of the rebellion's hands. God, I, love I just you. came up with my own. So along those lines of erase though, we'll talk about this more later, but Violet mentions how the 600 years, but they only have 400 years in the Navarian archives. So I do think they erased the delta there, the 200 years. 
Oh, absolutely. And it's happened before. We know this nowadays too. History repeats itself. And it's only through knowing and really truly knowing and understanding and wanting to change history that it changes. And that is not what his generation is doing whatsoever. This desperate generation that her dad is discussing, this includes his wife and her colleagues, General Melgren, the king, everybody, and even his peers in the scribes. That's why all of this is so secret. It's crazy just thinking about what he was going through. And I can't wait to learn more about that. I really hope we come across his research and get kind of like his firsthand experience through all of his research. So now like, well, let's move on to the, you've always been the best of your mother and me line. We've referred to this line multiple times throughout the podcast. It has so many different meanings depending on like kind of like what you want to pull it for as source material. But the way that I read it is it shows, you know, Violet has the strength and fortitude from her mother and then the knowledge and need for truth from her father. And those two combined really are the best of both worlds. And that is just another contributing factor to why Violet is such a powerful figure and will be our hero throughout the story. Well, and this also really feels like setting up the if Lilith is good slash morally gray theory to just fit in like a perfect puzzle piece. We talk about that theory about like, is Lilith good? Is Lilith bad? Is Lilith morally gray on the AMA? We also talk about Daddy Swarengale and if he's actually dead, if he's not dead on that AMA theories episode. So if you haven't listened to it, here's your sign. It's the next one in your podcast feed. Go listen to it because I don't want to get too much into it on this episode since we did talk about that so much there. But what I do want to get into is this line about him getting cryptic in the years after Brennan died, meaning that this is really when he started putting the puzzle piece together. So did he, well, two, two questions. One, did he know about Fen Ryerson and the podium he stood on? Like everything, everything he stood for before Brennan died? Or did he discover all of it after Brennan and Fen Ryerson died? When did he start discovering things? Was it before the revolution or after? You, you know, this is another thing that we talked about in last week's AMA theory episode too. We talked so much about like all of these crazy theories. I'm leaning toward her dad wasn't necessarily on one side or the other. And that would extend to any relationship with Zayden. You know, some people speculate that he and Zayden knew one another. I firmly believe that they did not. Same. Now, her dad was ultimately on the side of knowledge and truth. And that's what his focus was on. I think he was getting cryptic because he was learning information and literally not able to share it, but he knew this truth that needed to be known. So, you know, like, was he particularly cryptic with Violet as his way of, like, trying to navigate the truth towards her? Was he being cryptic because his wife was part of the problem and if she discovered he knew, like, he would die? Was he starting to actually go a little bit crazy and, like, kind of, like, taking that just a little bit at face value because he was going down the crazy rabbit hole and he just never came back up, which, my guy, I get you. <laughs> Reddit is a dangerous place. <laughs> it's almost like that's the foundation of this podcast is crazy rabbit holes. Maybe we'll find Daddy Sorengale down there. Who knows? <laughs> no, he's dead, Lexi. He is dead. So on a reread, I don't know about you, Lex. I almost have to like smack my face. How did I not see that the whole Venon are real thing is actually a thing? Like how it is fucking everywhere in this story. Everywhere. And yet it just so went over my head on first read. I literally just have to like face palm. So there's this line that Zayn says, quote, he said, meaning Fen Ryerson said, one day there would be no magic left in the kingdom if we aren't careful. Because Rebecca Yaros does such a classic Rebecca Yaros thing after this line and immediately changes the subject, redirecting our attention so we don't think too much about this line that Zayn just like dropped. 
What are your thoughts here? Ha ha ha. You can't fool us, Rebecca. You have yet another page of notes on this section. <laughs> so we know that the Venon sucked up all the magic in the Barrens, and now they're spreading like wildfire into poor meal and getting extremely close to Navarre. You know, their borders over by Athbane. We learned this at the end of the book, right? Yes. I think it is absolutely a warning that this could very well happen. It is happening on the continent, and it is spreading. The fables tell stories about the Venon who scourged the land of all things magic and the thirst for more power. And that's literally exactly what they're doing. The closer they get to Navarre, the more power that they can tap into, too. That's at least what I think, especially with all these faltering wards. Like, we'll talk more about that in today's archives, all about wards, but there's definitely ties. All of this comes together, you know? And, you know, like when Zayden asks Violet what she thinks her dad was trying to tell her in this note, I think he knows. I I think think he absolutely knows. He is absolutely reading between the lines of this not so cryptic letter, especially knowing Brennan. And he's trying to guide Violet towards thinking critically and coming to the right conclusion. You know, he's at least easily just planting the seeds and and then just watering them and really tending to his garden here. (laughs) In more ways than one in a little while. (laughs) Now, bitch, grow. But, you know, like she she's barely scratching the surface. You know, she even says he, meaning her father, felt someone in leadership was corrupt. Like she can't even comprehend that Venon are real, that her dad is saying this very literally. You know, like Zayden even goes on to tell her exactly what's happening, right? What you were just saying about the Venon are like sucking up all of the magic. And, you know, in the framework of, oh, my dad used to tell me this when I was a kid. If maybe he's trying to be a little too subtle here, Zayden, you know, and it just like went right over her head. I do wonder if in his head during this section, he was going back and forth like having a tennis match of should I tell her should I not tell her should I tell her should I not tell her but the fear of Dane finding out rightfully so won that battle I mean obviously like if he had told her Dane would have found out and this would have been a whole different ending of the book but wait hold on would it have been though I wonder. I think so. I feel like that still the same conclusion would have been like he might have been having to shove Violet to Zayden's crew in the first place. She would have been getting too close to. Well, actually, I don't think Dane knows anything about. I was going to say, I don't think Dane knows anything about the (laughs) Venom. I think if anything, he would have been like that liar. What an idiot. Like we saw him at Montserrat be like, that's not true. And it's like he would immediately just be like, absolutely not. That does not compute. Correct. I take back what I said there. Yeah. I think I even talk about it later in this episode. Yeah. He does not know about the Venom. (laughs) Not the slightest. Homeboy is clueless. But I really do wonder if like that was going back and forth in his head. Obviously, I'm glad that he didn't tell her because then Dane would have found out. But still, now this pretending moment, I have to give Violet some major fucking props here because she sticks to her guns and throws Zayden out, telling him, quote, you don't get to decide what I get to do with my emotions. I love a girl who stands up for herself. She says, quote, I deserve more than a relationship that's only on his terms. I wish I was this smart at 20. <laughs> God damn it. I would have caved the second his mouth opened. Just it's just a fun fun fact here. I wrote in my ebook notes that Zayden was being a little bitch because he's like, oh, I'm sure with all this pretending, we'll forget about what happened last night. It's like, dude. Stop being a bitch. I love later. It's like, stop being an emotionless chicken shit. I love that line so much. It's so funny. So at lunch the next day, this is after a little montage, month and a half montage. This might be one of my favorite scenes in the book because it's so fucking funny. Before we get into the reason why it's my favorite scene, we learn that King Tari is spending time at Bezgayeth. This was like, wait, the king? <laughs> why is the king? 
king coming here. Oh, the king, the king, the, the king, the king. <laughs> I, like, I, so I, I do wonder if it's simply for un- reunification day, keeping like a particular eye on the marked ones. You know, he had said that he likes to keep an eye. He likes to see Zayden at least once a year. Or it, maybe this is a political stunt to help erase the unrest that we've learned about from the missives like way back when. I personally wonder if it is mostly face value where it's like, yeah, reunification day, you know, the political stunt kind of involved with that, but it would have happened no matter what. I also have to wonder how many students Professor Carr has one-on-one training with. Did he help Zayden learn how to wield his shadows? I, I kind of doubt that, no. right? Right? <laughs> Unless he's working on the rebellion side and he's undercover. I knew you were going to say uh, that. I fucking yes. love the mystery of <laughs> Professor Carr. I love this guy. But like, like you have to wonder, like, what about other students, even like Brennan or something, who have particularly powerful signets? Like, do they get like one-on-one training with him? Or I assume ultimately he is taking this time to help Violet because she is such an essential for war signet. He needs to train her to use it because she's also just really dangerous, untrained. Maybe he's trying to figure her out a little bit, like get an idea for her character and which like quote unquote side she'll end up on. Like, I just love how mysterious he is. I'm foaming at the mouth to learn more about Professor Carr. Like <laughs> foaming at the mouth, desperate to learn more about this guy. And I have a feeling we're not going to much in Iron Flame, but I could be oh, wrong. Oh, really? We'll yeah. I would say if anything, we learn a lot about him because she's going to continue honing in her power here and he's going to be continuing to teach. And they're only at Basquiat for six months. That right there. So if it is what I think it is and the book ends with them being called out into the front lines, then yes, that actually would make a lot more sense. I take it back. I take it back. I love that all of this like talk about like reunification day, graduation, King Towery is happening while Zayden and Violet are literally just fucking each other with their eyes. Our girl goes in for the kill line though and says, and I'm quoting this word for word from the book, (laughs) I'd strip down to my skin so you can see every single inch of me. And once I had you begging... I drop down to my knees, undo those flight letters you're wearing, and wrap my lips around, and then, quote, Zayden chokes. <laughs> Killed me! Because, first of all, the word chokes there is just perfect. <laughs> like, it just absolutely destroyed me. I, I, like, it's just such like a visual image. Like, I just totally see that whole thing playing out. I also just love how quickly this escalated. They were just, like, you know, kind of flirting and da-da-da-da-da. And then she was like, dial 10 (laughs) like she just turned it up so loud I love it and then like the best part is that Liam is just right there and he knows it's almost like he like has like a window into it and it's just like oh god damn it I know what you two are saying to each other I just love that he's like (laughs) he's like looking down at his plate just like shaking his head like he's such the third wheel of like that's exactly what it is I am so bummed though that we didn't get Every single morsel, second of these sparring scenes between Zayden and Violet during montage moment. I get it for the pacing of the story. Am I actually mad about it? No, we needed to get to war games, the final battle, but I still wanted every second of Zayden pinning Violet on the mat. My God, it just makes me so happy. See, meanwhile, I'm like, yeah, let's get to the venom. Let's get to the battle. (laughs) Are we sure we're related? (laughs) I know, right? In Battle Brief... I find this scene so relatable. I really, really do. She's going to the spiral anxiety of like, what if, what if, what if? And thinking that Zayden has found someone else to sleep with. And first and foremost, Zayden, my guy, you are not helping her anxiety. This is my dating advice for Zayden in this episode. I'm going to have actually quite a bit of it. If your girl who you really like is thinking, oh my God, like, like going into that spiral and jealousy and freaking out, just say, look, I'm not sleeping with anyone else. 
but like, let's have this conversation later. You could have just said that and she would have been fine. But instead you got to be like, I'm not having this conversation with you right now. That's not a no. (laughs) It's not a no. I would have panicked. Oh, can we talk about this later? It's like, why? (laughs) You know, the text that's like, we need to talk like that sends your blood cholesterol or whatever, just like through the roof. I feel like this is one of those moments. Absolutely. Oh God. Satan would be such a bad texter. Oh my God. Oh my God. He would. (laughs) He wouldn't even text back he would just like you know how sometimes she like mind to mind speaks to him and he just like ignores her he wouldn't he would be the guy who didn't text back thumbs up <laughs> god <laughs> it's like one of my biggest pet peeves is when you text someone and they just give you the thumbs up emoji i'm like write the word okay come on oh shoot i'm definitely one of those people it's very convenient i love I it know. <laughs> i know <laughs> no, i always got a baby in my hand i let it slide with you we get another reminder that the graduating classes are diminishing year over year more people are dying people are not bonding And there's an uptick in attacks. And we hear that seven writers and their dragons died this year. I missed that. That was key, right? Like, I missed that on the first read, too. Why are we losing dragons, everybody? Like, why? Venon, 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 Wyvern, Wyvern. So I actually disagree with that because it's really hard for griffins to kill dragons. As far as I'm concerned, that is exactly who is attacking them to the best of our knowledge. I'll get way more into the venon and the attacks and we get full confirmation that the Venon are not attacking Navarian borders later on. But I wonder if the Griffins are getting more powerful, like the way that they're able to get to these high altitude places, if they're the ones causing the warts to falter, again, we're going to touch on that a little bit later here. The possibility of how they're getting more powerful is these crystallized gems that we've heard mentioned just a few times and how they magnify their power, you know, which like they need in order to fight the Venon and go and ransack, you know, Navarre. So it's so interesting to think that seven dragons have also died along with their riders. And I like my first thought is yeah it must be the griffins killing them because we know that griffins are absolutely attacking from mira's scar and how she got attacked by a griffin that came out of nowhere here i am just thinking these are like oversized turkeys like just (laughs) flying in the sky i I could totally see this though this makes sense real quick i don't want to be a dragon rider i want to be a griffin rider why Because, okay, so I, like, don't get me wrong, like, dragons, magic, all of that. I bet you that the flyers don't have to cross the goddamn parapet because they say in that death trap of a college, I think that they're a little bit more nurturing and a little bit more Hufflepuff-y when it comes to bonding with their group. This might be your biggest Hufflepuff moment on this podcast, meaning... Meanwhile, I'm like, give me the gauntlet or give me death. <laughs> yeah, I think I just really showed my cards there. Um, <laughs> but you know what? I bet a lot of our listeners right now are like, hey, me too. So, you know, go us. Go for us puffs, right? Meanwhile, us dragon riders were like, fuck you, oversized turkeys. Give me a full-blown dragon or death. Back to the dragons dying. Oh, that's a sad thing to say. You know, some people might be saying, if the riders are dying, then the dragons die. That's not true. Only three dragons have ever died from their riders dying. So this is not common. It is very rare and only for extra powerful dragons with strong bonds. Like, again, like Violet is very much an exception to the rule, not part of the rule when it comes to this. I don't think that that is the reason that these dragons are dying. Maybe one of them, but that's not the main reason. Nicole, you had mentioned maybe it's Venon. Like, again, based on that information we learned later with the Griffin Flyers, Venon haven't come this close to the borders until now. So Zayden and his crew, they didn't even know that they were spreading this close, although they weren't really surprised that it was happening. But this was an absolute shock to Zayden and his friends. Here's what I will say, though, because in the first missive we get on Lilith Sorn and Gail's desk, it's from Athbeen. And they're like, 
we need reinforcements fucking now or else we'll have to abandon the outpost. My guess yes. is that what's not said there is there's these mythical creatures who are coming to attack us, but I can't say this to my general because she'll think I'm crazy. I disagree big time there. Really? I, I think do. There's definitely Venon. This is going to be a theme in this episode because I am very firmly in the camp that Venon have not come this close yet. And I will say all of my reasons in this episode. I knew we agreed too much in the AMA episode. <laughs> <laughs> Last thing I'll say here before we get to reunification day is Zayden says that the wards are strong at Montserrat because of Mira being there. They faltered several months ago when our crew was there and like so was Mira there. So I don't understand like obviously like they've been rebuilt and now they might be be extra powerful. But dude, you literally had to leave there, flee because it was not powerful, like because they faltered because they were not strong. So anyway, just a little like what the heck with that? That was a great catch because I, I, that totally just went over my head. So the reunification day party as our, you know, squad looking all hot, looking amazing. I want to see these outfits. I want to wear these outfits. If you had to choose which outfit, which one would you wear? Rays or violets? Oh, violets. I love Same. the slit on the skirt. I love oh, yeah. it. Yes. I wish I had chosen the slit for your wedding, but no, oh, well, next, that's okay. I, I was about to say next time, but I really don't <laughs> think that's going to happen. <laughs> Nicole, do you need to talk about something? <laughs> oh my God, I feel like I need to go hug him or something. So Liam, on their way to walking to this party, Liam is asking, what are scribes into? Like, as they're saying, like, oh, you know, like, what are healers into? Like, they're not into writers. And Liam's like, so what are scribes into? And it's like, <gasps> Jacinia, he likes her and I love it. I know. I like that whole thing is so canon to me. We're going to talk about that in a little while here too, because apparently whatever it is, uh, he he figured it out and he used it. Unsurprising. He is so fucking charming. And he's like, literally Violet Eastman says he's a shameless flirt. I would fall instantly for Liam. Instantly. I absolutely would too. Speaking of Liam, homeboy almost let slip that Brennan was alive. <laughs> They're at the party. Violet's talking about how Brennan would have hated all of this, meaning the pomp and circumstance. And Liam says, quote, yeah, sounds like dash. Like, it's like, oh, shit. Like, right? Sounds like what, Liam? Sounds like what, Liam? <laughs> but this does answer a question on the podcast that we've asked numerous times, and that is, does Liam know Brennan? And sounds like he does. How? We have no idea. But it definitely sounds like homeboy knows Brennan and I can't wait to know more about like Brennan's relationship with everyone. So as far as how Liam and and Zayden as well know Brennan and how they were able to get to Arisha like the way that they have which we've speculated on the show and just really asked that big question. Neva in an email said you know, what if the person who they were fostered by, Duke Linden, what if he was actually on the side of the rebellion and he was secretly helping them get to Arisha? They were all secretly there together. And that's how they were able to train so much. That's how they kind of are able to go to Arisha. Maybe that's why Zayden has his room in Arisha, as we've discussed at length. And that's how Liam knows Brennan is because the person who fostered them was not really loyal. That will also make the dramatic irony of King Tauri saying, oh, you know, Duke Lindell, he's a loyal man. And it almost feels like it's like all caps. Like, you know, yes. saying it. So that would actually make that, ooh, ooh, never. Right? I, I was like, like ooh, yeah, yeah. So, so I just wanted to throw throw that theory out into the wild. <laughs> Thank you, Neva. Speaking of King Tauri, and Melgren and Lilith, they're all approaching Violet. And Violet says, Liam, Go. And when he says, when your greatest threat approaches, 
I do wonder like which one of the three or is it the collective whole is he talking about in regards to quote greatest threat? My guess is all of them kind of collectively like representing the corrupt leadership. That's my guess too. Yeah. Because yeah. I could see it being like Melgren because I don't I think King Tari is just kind of like an idiot. Right. Especially like, like donning all of these medals that he's never won. Like I think it's pretty clear that he is not a dragon rider. There's been a lot of speculation. How does it work with the royals? I think it was like his second son did die in the writer's quadrant. So maybe with royalty, it's like, okay, first son is not conscripted because they're going to be the heir, but the second son is conscripted. I don't know that, but that's just a thought there. But yeah, he definitely is not a dragon writer. I can guarantee that. (laughs) I am excited to learn more about the royal family because it wasn't honestly until like the second or third reread when I was like, oh, that was the word king. There's a king here. And, and dukes and, and yeah. other kind of like a royal court. I think this is the first fantasy book I've read in a long time that's not like a part of the quote unquote royalty. You know, like it feels very weird that we're not at, at, in the mindset of like the kings and all that kind of stuff. This is interesting. Well, it's interesting because we're on the military side of it, right? Where yeah. we, we do have that connection to the royalty. So conversations like this do happen and we do have some knowledge, but it's very kind of like a telephone sort of knowledge. Her mom learns it. And then she learns it from her mom or she learns it from Mira who learns it from their mom, you know, or, or like from her dad, you know, it's very, yeah. she does not have the same firsthand knowledge and connection like a lot of other characters in books do. And just like that military side of things where it's like, yeah, there is royalty and all of that, but it's very kind of shielded from the military. There's not like a, you're doing this for the king. It's more of a, you're doing this for your country. That does make me wonder if we're going to get into more of the royalty politics or if it's going to be more like the rebellion versus Navarre politics, because I'm leaving towards the latter. I am too. I think that yeah. if we were going to learn much more about the royalty, I think that, you know, we will learn some more, but it's not going to be a central theme by any means. I think that we would have learned more in this book when I'll say Violet is more susceptible to talking about it, but we might just learn more of the truth of the mindset. We'll definitely learn about that. And then we have Melgren's comment that Lilith is, you know, quite confident in Violet's powers. Quote, his smile icy as he stares at me in blatant appraisal. I, I'm really curious about this. Is he sizing her up? Like, can can he see a future battle with her? Like not necessarily with the marked ones, but just in general. Then that, of course, that would raise the question of how far into the future can he see battles? Like can he see like a battle a few years from now or like further along in the book series? Or is it only within a certain time period? I'm really interested in that. Is he jealous of her signet? You know, like she's got like this crazy dangerous signet and, you know, like his smile icy as he stares at me with appraisal. Like it's just like, interesting. I think yeah, he might be sizing her up in his own really scary twisted way. I think that he, when she bonded with Tarn and therefore bonded with Zayden, all of a sudden he can't see her outcomes anymore. Like any <gasps> any battle Ooh. outcomes. That's my thought. That's my headcanon here. So he's like sizing her up as like, if I concentrate really hard, can I see? And I don't, I obviously don't think he can. I also could definitely see jealousy, but also not just from the lightning perspective. Like we talked about in the AMA episode on theories, if Taryn and Coda are indeed brothers or related somehow, I could see him maybe not so much jealousy, but like apprehension of like, you're going to fuck some shit up with your dragon who's my dragon's brother. You know, I could see something along those lines, but no matter what, we got to keep an eye out for Melgren because homeboy is, bad capital be bad and then of course like when violet's mom says that they've only seen this gift this powerful a few times in the last decade and then she lists brennan and quote unquote that ryerson boy it's interesting that both of these writers that she mentions who have extra powerful signets are on the rebellion side of course like i don't think that she and the leadership obviously know about that with brennan 
But that is very interesting. So that makes me wonder if they're powerful dragons, which we can absolutely assume Brennan does have a powerful dragon because of his powerful signet. Did their powerful dragons choose them for this reason, that they were susceptible to the truth, to fighting for the truth and for fighting truly for all innocent lives, not just Navarre? I think that we can guess this is part of why Taryn chose her because, you know, she's smart and she, she's willing to follow the truth. But it really makes me think that's also why Sigal and Brennan's dragon chose them as well. Then we move on to a moment that we have had so many people message us about this exchange. And I'm so excited to finally talk about it. So King Towery is asking about Zayden and, you know, saying like, I always like to, you know, lay my eyes on the Ryerson boy. Me too, my guy. Me too. (laughs) But Violet says that he might be around the edges since he's not one for parties. Me too, my guy. Me too. But Mama Sorengale says literally like, oh, look, there's Dane Atos. Let's go over here. Let's go talk to him. And it's such a, in my opinion, blatant distraction. Oh, we're about to talk about this guy that my daughter's really close to. Let me just completely distract you with this guy who's so innocent and so, you know, like the little golden retriever of the Navarian side. A golden retriever who bites you. Jeez. (laughs) (laughs) Like, Cujo style Jesus (laughs) for me this is like one of the biggest blatant neon signs that Lilith is on some kind of good side I'm not really I'm saying good very lightly here but what are your thoughts here I agree that that is definitely one of the big supporting points she could also suspect that her daughter is closer than she'd like to Zayden and she wants to change the subject before Violet essentially lets slip that she is this close to Zayden they're going into very dangerous conversation territory right now and she did she noticed when Violet squeezed Liam's arm remember which was just like a giveaway for Violet's support of her friend so I think that that might have had something to do with it too you know like again like we have to ask is Zayden one of the reasons the king wanted to come to Biscayeth I feel like he could come up with a better excuse to make sure that he had an eye on Zayden like it's like oh like I thought he was gonna be here it's like like you're the the king king. (laughs) if you were coming to see him you would have seen him (laughs) in some way shape or form you could have like summoned him or whatever that might look like I wonder what were the circumstances of their last sighting You know, he says that he keeps an eye on him every single year. Where was the king when he kept tabs on him in the years before he was in the writer's quadrant? Was he going to where he was fostered? Maybe. I wonder if that's the case or if it is just like in the context of since Zayden became a writer and especially bonded with a powerful dragon that the leadership was not expecting to have happen. Then there's this exchange where the king jokes about Zayden starting another war, right? We've had a lot of comments about that one as well. But then again, we're bringing up Melgren here. Quote, Melgren is fully capable of seeing the outcome of any such absurdity. And yet he stares at Liam and me with unnerving focus. That's why I'm like, he can't see her outcomes anymore when it comes to battles because she's saying Liam and me. He can't see Liam. I think they're talking about this next battle, though, because she is part of the mark. So I think that he's not able to see her because she's always with more than three marked ones. And that's why he's like, what the fuck is happening here? Yeah. And that's uh. a kind of a clue. And we'll talk about this here in a little while is that right there to him is a clue that something's going on. He, like I said, he's trying to see ahead and he can't. And his unnerving focus is like this failed effort. We also have to wonder, how does he know that more than three marked ones when they get together He can't see them. Like, did he discover this from firsthand experience of something that happened? Maybe probably with Zayden again. Did his dragon tell him about this loophole that it's like, oh, 
shit. Sorry, man. I, I made a mistake. <laughs> yeah. Or, you know, like, is he focusing and he's coming to the conclusion that maybe there's just nothing to see? Or, and I'll get to this here in a little while, but the Venon attacked this other village the day before. And I have to wonder, and I really do think, that leadership knows about this nearby Venon attack already right now. And he's trying to look into the future. He can't see anything and he knows something's up. And that is another catalyst into facilitating the suicidal mission designed for Zayden. In the assignment at War Games, it's literally like abandon your post as wing leader and go fight these guys or go to this other outpost where you're actually going to get your War Games assignment. And I'm assuming that since he cannot see the outcome of that battle, he knows that the marked ones chose to fight. Probably. Yeah, probably. Oh my God, there's so much here. For one of the final times of this book, second to last time, let's talk about Dane taking capital L's. So after Lilith is like, distraction, distraction, let's go talk to this golden retriever who's going to bite you. After Dane talks to leadership for a little while and is all like prim and proper, da 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 da, Dane beelines it basically to Violet. Again, this is after talking to Lilith. Melgrain and King Towery. He beelines it like, huh, like that is so notable that this is after Violet's conversation with them about Zayden. And then the king says, you know, it's good to have a Sorengale on the lookout for us. And then Dane just arrives to him on a silver platter who has a close relationship with Sorengale. And hey, he can even take memories. And he has a connection with her where he could touch her and take that memory. And I think that leadership probably already knows this, that he has been doing this. Let's just like take this quote here. Dane smiles as the king takes his leave, then glances over his shoulder, meeting my gaze and heading our way. What was said in this exchange to make Dane go straight for Violet? Hi, Dane. Can you go touch Violet? We need to know that this. Go Google search for us, my guy. Yeah. Can you Google search us? We're boomers and we need help. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> But seriously, the Google search, like leadership said something to Dane about Zayden and then Dane goes and he Google searches looking for information on Zayden in Violet's memories. And that, again, is a reason why he only knows about the information that Zayden provided her, not their intimate relationship. And then he cups her fucking face. And yeah, we'll talk about this more in God fucking damn it, Dane. But oh, this is an L. This is an L. Especially, it's like stands out so much that Violet is reflecting back on their friendship and their life together and their trust in one another and their bond together. And, you know, she's completely distracted again from what he's actually doing. Ah, we hate you, Dane. As he's cupping her face, he freaking compliments her and jokes with her about their experiences with his parties at chill as children literally as he is betraying her god fucking damn it dane it is scary how this comes with such ease for dane like that right there is why in my opinion he is our big bad character he is manipulating her and he's using her to get information on zayden and i bet you it's because he thinks that's what the good guys do he thinks he's a good guy i've said that a million times like he thinks he's james bond with the spy mastery but really he's just like a fucking snake i like how it says snack (laughs) (laughs) just a fucking snack this is what happens when we work on outlines at night I know, right? Okay, now, of course, we have to talk about the parapet, which, first of all, before we get into this, 
I just love that there's some mystery around where Zayden is until like the very end of the chapter as Violet steps onto the parapet. It's like, oh my gosh, I was not like, I don't know what I was expecting, but it wasn't that. I love the fucking parapet. This death trap. <laughs> of course is, you do. I love it. I don't know what it is about it, but I just, mm, I love it so much. Meanwhile, I'm just like looking, like I get it. They're the, the literary meaning. This has made Violet come full circle. I love it. I'll talk about it here in a second. But primarily, girl, get the fuck off of this parapet. Like no man, even Zayden, even Zayden, girl, is worth dying over with the stupidity. Like, oh my God. I could not disagree with you more. I would walk on five parapets for Zayden. I'm, like, I'm just going to go hang out with my griffin over there. You mean turkey. It's like, a turkey. Yeah. I will say, like I said, like coming full circle, like it is so cool. Like even though she knows she's crazy, she has this confidence and she's so sure of herself that she will not die. And like that in its own really twisted way is so beautiful. And I'm just so proud of our girl Violet. Even if she's doing something very, very stupid, she has muscle memory and strength and balance that she did not have last Last year. It's literally like a side-by-side comparison here. And this is a physical test of how far she's come since crossing the parapet as a conscript. So I think that's really cool. It's stupid, mm-hmm. but I understand the literary meaning here. I love it so much. <laughs> Speaking of things that I love, as Violet is walking on the parapet, she's realizing that this overwhelming feeling that she has for Zayden is a capital L love. I would love to know, what are your thoughts? We're in book one of five. What are your thoughts with the L word being dropped in book one? Well, first of all, I can say that she's like me. I don't think I've ever like, as soon as like I come to the conclusion myself, I am not one of those people who can wait probably more than 24 hours before sharing it with with the person I feel it for. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's like finding like the right moment, but it's not, I've loved you for five years. I never said anything. It's like, I could not ever, ever do that. I wait as long as I possibly fucking can. So I'm torturing myself. Like, I think the, to be fair, like the longest I've waited is like a full month, but like a month of spending a lot of time with someone and just being like, I want to say it, but I'm not going to. But to be fair, when I was dating Brett, I think I lasted maybe a week after I realized it. And then I just blurted it out on New Year's Eve. (laughs) I got to admit, I wasn't the biggest fan at first to her admitting her love to him, not even not even verbally, but just like in her head in the first book. It made me nervous and it still does. But a lot of those nerves did go away because of the shit that hits the fan in the yeah. last four chapters of the book. I love the part where they're going back and forth and she's like, I loved you. And he's like, love. And he makes it present tense. I love that part so much. But it still does make me nervous, the fact that they've dropped the L word in the very first book of five. That does make me nervous. I think you're right. It would make me very nervous. And then what happens at the end, it's like, we've talked about this before, where Iron Flame, it's definitely going to be a emotional back and forth because he has to earn her trust. And the only way he's going to earn her trust is by sharing more secrets with her. And I don't think he's quite ready to do that yet, right? I think that one big thing that's going to be a catalyst into her kind of like letting down her walls again are him admitting that he loves her. Because remember, I I don't think at least that he ever says it in this book. He might think it in his POV, but he doesn't actually say it to her, right? Correct. He never says it out loud, but he does say it like 
numerous times and like literary equivalents of saying I love you Got in it. his head in his POV. I love that she says it so quickly just as far as like our story goes and knowing her as our character because it's all about trust and she's opening up her heart to him and it's brave and it's daring and she's doing it out on this parapet and I just love it. But you know like Violet says this quote that just like makes my heart all warm. But if we let fear kill whatever this is between us then we don't deserve it. Like that line is also just going to come back to that to girl. <laughs> I love it, but oh, hindsight's oh, twenty twenty, right? It hurts. <laughs> you also have to point out some key language here that Zayden uses. That, again, it's taking a little bit of an L because this would be a nice opportunity to share some things with her. I know he's not ready to. I know there's all sorts of other things, but he does say it's the anniversary of losing Brennan. And he says losing, not him being killed. Oh, He's just digging his own grave Satan. right here. I get that it's not the right time, but you're still making these comments and you know that he's not dead and you know that she's mourning him and you know she had a close connection with her brother and she's been sad about him being dead for years. Just kind of twisting the knife there. There's a moment where Violet thinks in her head, quote, even if Zayden's death wouldn't kill Siv Gale, I'm not sure I could survive it. I really do wonder if this is a mates or mates equivalent clue. We're both kind of aligned on the on the mates thing, whether it is a full-blown faded mates or if it is some kind of like equivalent version of mates just in this world, something deeper is connecting these two together. And considering that if Taryn dies, Sigail dies and vice versa, this line right here to me feels like a very big capital M mates or again, some equivalent clue. If Zayn's death wouldn't kill Sigail, I'm not sure I could survive it. That just feels so dense. Are you saying that you feel like if without Sigail and Taryn, that if Zayden dies and she would die, or it would be more of that emotional, not so much like physical tethering to life? I'm almost thinking the physical tethering to life on the Sigail and Taryn level. Now we've talked about how Sigail and Taryn's mating bond could have seeped into Zayden and Violet. There's a few hints before Violet bonds with Taryn that kind of makes it seem like, oh, this might have started before she had threshing. But I could see it being strengthened to the point where it is like tethered to life in the way that their dragons aren't even connected. I am going to respectfully disagree. I think it's more of a their soulmates versus faded mates. And I realize that there's we're kind of splitting hairs here. But I think it as more of an emotional, I would not emotionally be able to survive something versus it being a physical. And I think that Taryn and Sigail's bond, like it just kind of cemented it more for them rather than, I don't think that there's a magical element to their bond. That's what I'm trying to say. I'm leaning towards there might be a magical element, but I don't think it's like capital M magic. Charlie the unicorn, woo! <laughs> magical Neoplerodon. But I do think that there's there's something deeper happening here and I'm I'm excited to learn more about it. I think that's really where I'm getting at. And that just yes. line really stood out to me. Zayden saying, I'm going to have some swoon moments. Zayden saying, you have mind of yours is sexy as hell. I know that's so contemporary. That is a very contemporary line. But if a man said that to me, I'm just trying to say this loud so my husband will hear. If a man (laughs) said that to me, I'd be so here for it. Another thing he says is, I've wanted you since the first time I saw you violence. So this is a moment that we're getting a download for the first time of like, oh, this started on parapet, which just, oh, swoon. Speaking of swooning, (laughs) it's time to talk about that scene capital that capital scene we are on chapter 32 everybody (laughs) if your children are listening in the car you gotta turn on something else okay (laughs) 
Please, God, turn on dragon tails. There you go. I have some quick dating advice for Violet, actually. And that is when you're walking to a guy's room, for the love of God, don't mention A, another guy, and B, another guy that you know your current guy was jealous of at any given moment because that, see, that guy kissed you. Don't do that. <laughs> Wait, um, Nicole, have you ever personally said the wrong name at the wrong moment? Downloading, downloading, <laughs> thinking, thinking. No, I actually don't think I have. I've always been very good. good about it. But <laughs> don't, don't do it, everybody. Just don't. <laughs> I want that story later. <laughs> I love that the longer you live, the nicer your room gets. Like what an incentive <laughs> to keep going through this. Like, you know how like the longer you stay at a company, the more like incentives they give you. I feel like that's this guy's version of like staying longer at the company. Yeah. It's just staying Here's alive. Here's your corner office. Yeah, here's a big bed. <laughs> I, uh, another swoon moment, which just, this one just fucking gets me. Zayden says, quote, have I told you how beautiful you look tonight? If not, I'm a fool because you are magnificently beautiful. Oh, he's about to take a lot of L's. So I have to grasp onto any win that my guy has. And a lot of them are in this chapter. Let me tell you, I'm dying laughing. Violet sinks to her knees as she like pushes Zayden on the bed. Not in that way, but she pushes him to the bed. She's like, sit. And then she gets on her knees and he goes, Violet? And she's like, I'm just taking off your boots. And then he blurts. He's like, you can just leave them there. <laughs> and I love how she's like, first and foremost, I think I've pointed out every single sink down to my knees line in this book. And I was not expecting to, but that's just quite ironic. I love that Violet was like, I'm not going to go snooping. And it's like, girl, that is not the reason he just wanted you to leave his boots wherever. He got excited and he wanted you to come back. It just killed me. Oh, man. It was just so naive, and I love it. But then Zayden says, quote, I don't deserve you, but I'm going to keep you all the same. And then Violet admits fully to being in love with Zayden. So my jaw dropped hearing her say it out loud. So, I mean, it's like a few pages have gone by. I did not think she would admit it so quickly, but good for her for being so brave, obviously, and like really wanting to start this relationship off from a place of honesty on one side. But I'm curious, <laughs> Lexi, who said it first? Was it you or was it Jake? I don't really remember. We've been together for, oh my gosh, and actually next week, it's going to be nine years. Whoa. Yeah, since since we had our first date. I don't really remember, but I, I will say I probably am the one who said it first. Like he and I fell so hard and fast for each other. Like neither of us were interested in playing any games. Like we were like, this is real, right? What about you guys? We have two versions of the story. Yes, that's we dated right. in college and he said it first and then I got scared and I beast out. But then the second go round, which is five years later, we did some growing up and all that kind of stuff. I believe I said it first, but literally he like, I love you. Like right after I said <laughs> I can see that, yeah. And because he was like, I was waiting for you to say it because I said it first last time and I didn't want to overwhelm you. It was really cute. So I did say it first, but I think I tortured him with how much I waited to say it. Of course. So I do have to wonder though, like what do you think was going through Zayden's head when she admits to being in love with him? So like, she, she loves him, but she also really does not know him. Like she does, like she knows his core. He, she knows his values, his character, but she doesn't know what makes up those fundamental cores. She doesn't know what has led him to have the values he has. She doesn't know what motivates his values and uh, and all of that. So again, she knows his core and she sees it and she understands it and she respects and she loves it. And she doesn't 
know the rest of of what makes that up, right? And he knows that. And so in his head, it's, there's probably some level of like, fuck, she's going to be so pissed when she finds out about, you know, like A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P, Q, R, S, T, U, V, W, X, Y, and Z. Right? I thought this wasn't safe for children, Lexi. <laughs> Thought we just asked the parents to turn it off for their children. <laughs> yes. No, I, I totally agree. I think that he at some level was like, oh, my God, I love her, too. Like, fuck, do I say it? But then there was that, oh, no, because she doesn't know who I truly am. And I think that there was this level of like, I don't deserve you. And I can't say it back because I don't feel deserving. Which, speaking of which, if, if I was not already in love with this man, I don't even know all of his secrets. I'm in love with him. I don't care. This would make me fall so hard if I was not already in love with him. And that is, quote, I fucking need you, Violet, right now. And I don't need anyone. So I'm not quite sure how to handle this feeling, but I'm giving it my best. And if you don't want this tonight, that's fine. But I'm going to need you to walk out that door right now. Because if not, I'm going to have you naked and on your back in the next two minutes. No, oh stop God. quoting this whole chapter. <laughs> Someone did ask, they're like, can you just read the whole chapter into the microphone? Oh, and Nicole's sexy voice? My sexy Zayden voice? Oh my God. I will not be doing that. Thank you. But then we get one of my favorite lines. Speaking of me just saying I'm not going to quote this entire I have to quote this one because this is my favorite line in probably all of literature. And I'm going to say that a lot throughout these next few books we're going through. But this is when Zayden's in a different position. He's eating that pussy like shrimp fried rice. I don't know that song, so you just what? startled me quite a lot. Cold 45. It doesn't belong on the playlist, but I really hope a few people understand what I just said because it's, it's like my favorite line in all of lyrics. Oh my God. Well, speaking of favorite lines, Violet says, oh gods. And Zayden says, which one are you calling out for? Because it's just me and you in this room, Vi, and I don't share. But then... This is my favorite part. That's everyone else's favorite part that's on the internet that everyone quotes. This is, in my opinion, the part that makes this line absolutely amazing. Violet says, you, I'm calling out for you. And then Zayden says, I appreciate the elevation to deity, but my name will do. (laughs) Fucking kills me. They're starting to count orgasms and all that kind of stuff like you do. (laughs) And you know how in Lord of the Rings, when Legolas and Gimli are like counting their kills and you know, he like takes down the elephant and he's like, that still only counts as one. This scene reminds me of that, but just in orgasms. Nicole, I think this is some next level like fantasy literature comparison that we're doing. (laughs) And now I'm never going to be able to watch that battle scene the same way again. You're welcome, everybody. (laughs) So there's a lot of fantasy sex themes that we've pointed out on this podcast. And here's another one. I'm noticing that you know, in many of these scenarios, the guy in some form or fashion says something about taste. (laughs) He says something about like, you taste so good. And I'm not going to lie. This is probably my favorite thing. (laughs) I don't even care. I love this shit so much. Okay. I'm about to ask a very personal question. Has no one ever said that to you? I'll have to have a conversation (laughs) with Brett. I'm not going to say what's been said to me because, you know, we got to keep some boundaries here. (laughs) I do have in my notes honeydew because if you know you know I know now it's a different book that Nicole has read and I am now currently reading and it's like I saw that and I was like he he I know what she means that's all I'm gonna say on that those of you who understand that reference you're gonna be really excited in a few weeks I'll just put it that way now however in the middle of this scene there is a huge alarm 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 moment because Violet says this is in her head I'm not going to survive this. I'm going to die right here in this bed. Note, though, 
She says this in her head, and it is not italicized like it always is with their mind-to-mind speak. Zayden answers, however, this non-italic thought with, then I'm going to die with you. Violet then says again in her head, I'm so far gone, I didn't even realize I said the words out loud. Then I realized I don't have to. But then she says in italics, more, I need more. So originally I thought, oh, okay, well, it's just, you know, their bond. But it's not italicized. Isn't, uh, first of all, like, I, this all went right over my head. Like, I can't believe you're paying attention to this in the scene right here. <laughs> well, the reason is there's a moment later where Violet says something in her head and it's so passive. And then in Zayden's POV, he calls back to it. He says, she called me a blank. And I'm, I'm going to hold off until we get to the next section because I want to I want to talk about that section. But it started me thinking, it's like, how many other times has she said something and it's not been in italics and he answers her? The answer is a lot. That has happened a lot throughout this book. So just something to note and keep your eyes peeled for my sweet friends. Then Zayden saying, I fucking love your hair. I guess I am just quoting this entire time. You are. <laughs> I don't care. I'm, I'm happy about it. I fucking love your hair. If you ever want to bring me to my knees, again, I have to point out the knees, <laughs> or win an argument, just let it down. I'll get the point. And God, I hope Violet uses this tactic in Iron Flame. I made that same note. I was like, oh, foreshadowing. (laughs) I hope she also uses it in a moment where she like is so fucking mad at him and she just wants to torture him. I would use that technique. I would do that. I also applaud this transition from Rebecca. She says, she meaning Violet says, yeah, let's go for three. We're going for five. (laughs) And then Garrick knocks on the door and just splashes cold water on the whole situation here. And like when he says like they're under attack, I was like, oh shit, like this is it. Like everything's about to go down. And then I have to admit, I was a little bit initially disappointed in my first read that it was, you know, quote unquote, just war games. Same. Right? Yeah. And, and, you know, how how naive of me to be disappointed with that. In hindsight now, I am actually really glad Navarre wasn't under attack. Like, this is the first book. We have to keep remembering that. And that would have been way too rushed with the overall story. Got to build up to it. You definitely think it's going to happen, but probably not until book three three, maybe even book four, right? Like this reaction that everybody has with the anxiety, the tension, every, you know, like rushing to formation, all of that. I think that that's just giving the tiniest taste of what is to come. I think it's going to be the end of book two into like, that's going to be the cliffhanger is going into book three. That's my guess is like, oh God, I don't know. I'm so excited. I do love that Garrick is like, you better bring Sorengale with you. Like he just fucking knows. (laughs) Of course. Of course. What a, what a dude. I love I I do love Zayden's response, which is someone better be dead if I'm going to get out of this bed, Garrick. Like I just, this like reminds me of a frat house. Like just like, oh yeah. It's so funny. Oh yeah. At formation, we have to talk about this moment. Liam is Justinia, period. Absolutely. Yes. canon. So before the party, he asks what describes like. We talked about that a moment ago. But then when they're at formation, it says, Liam stands to my right, still buttoning the top of his uniform. Violet asks, good night. And he says, fine. He mutters, his cheeks turning pink in the moonlight. He's blushing. He's blushing. This is canon. Like, I, yeah. like you can say whatever you want, and I will respect your opinion, but um, this is canon to me. And he and Jasenia absolutely had a wonderful night together. And now... That was all that they got. And never will again. <laughs> and never will again. To that point, you know, I assume that we're going to get more Jasenia in Iron Flame. 
And I really do think and wonder if it's like we're going to see her reaction what she when she finds out or at least her and Violet talking about his death. And it's just going to hurt all over again. I'd also do just while we're talking about this, uh, I want to bring up a theory that some people have had that Jasenia gets pregnant from this night. And since, you know, she's in the scribes and we don't know if she's taking the same birth control that writers specifically are. I will say as beautiful as this would be for Liam's legacy to continue on, you know, the next generation, blah, blah, blah. I'm going to assume Liam was taking the fertility supplement and Sloan will actually be our Liam's legacy character moving forward, um, not his offspring. Now, I do find it hard to believe that Zayden wouldn't have thought ahead. This guy is a master of like, you know, knowing three steps ahead while everyone else just knows one. And He's like, here's my flight jacket. So no one's going to know we fucked tonight, but here's my flight jacket. I do love his like, I can't stand the idea of you being cold. It's said with such, and maybe this is just the audiobook, but it's said with such intensity that I guess the line just really stood out to me. But did it stand out to you at all? Not particularly. I just figured that these two were scurrying to get ready and just totally missing some very important key details in the scariness of, oh my gosh, we're under attack. We got to go, 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 go. And I think it just goes to show how frazzled Zayden is by this. He is a very calm, cool, collected person, but dude, you weren't thinking very clearly here. He did his best. He did. He did his best. Of course he did. (laughs) You know, like, and then when we do find out it's just war games, right? Like, eh, have no fear. Just (laughs) war games, quote unquote. We'll talk more about the specific timing of this and how it relates to the venom attack a little bit later, but I do just need to call this out right now. Do you think it's a coincidence that the reunification date interactions with the King, Melgren, Lilith, and Dane were just the day before? We were already talking about that, but outright, we're here, we're in this moment. The Venon attacked the other Pormiel village the day before reunification day. It's highly possible that this leadership knew about it, even when Violet and Liam were talking to them. What do you think about all of this and the timing? I don't think it's a coincidence at all. Yeah. Do I think that they planned it the night of the reunification party? I think they had it planned before. Well, no, they didn't because Dane cups Violet's face. At the, I guess mm-hmm. so. I guess they were up late as well, but they were I just think planning they were all up late slaughter. Too, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking assholes! God, that makes me sick. Oh my god. No, yeah, I think that that's. I don't think that's a coincidence in the slightest. But we do need to talk about Dane's dad's speech. It is crazy that he is reading out this major air quotes scenario like this isn't exactly what's happening in real fucking life he says yes. the wards are failing multi-level attacks putting villages under attack from quote griffin writers also quick note the fact that it's griffin writers not griffin flyers here now i know zayden hasn't corrected violet yet but like was this on purpose or was this just like a small little blip? zayden doesn't correct violet until you know semantics after they've already met the griffin flyers so not the right thing to be correcting her about right now (laughs) exactly it's like oh dude not right now but i think that if it was said correctly in all of the navarian literature you know if it said griffin flyers instead of griffin writers then she would have known that and she would have used the proper terminology she's she's our ravenclaw right i think that this means that we can conclude all of the discussions around these griffin flyers they are stated incorrectly that they are writers and so i wonder if it's first of all i think that it's absolutely a sign of, you know, we don't care what you call yourselves, right? It's a sign of disrespect there or a sign of ignorance. I also wonder if by calling them writers, 
the leadership or, or scribes or, or whoever is kind of, you know, behind all of this, making sure that this information isn't known, if they're trying to make a direct comparison with dragon riders, like griffin riders are the lesser of the two versus them being their own entity as flyers, as having respect as their own group, not just a lesser version of dragon riders. 100%. I could totally see that. Yeah. I also, back to the speech though, and just this whole scenario, like I was kind of at first wondering why Beskai's leadership feigns this as a real scenario, because like you said, it is happening. And we know that Biscay's leadership is being very good with all of their secrets. And that's a definitely a high priority. I, I realize I, I this might just be, you know, a worst case scenario exercise to prepare them. But again, that's preparing them. They, meaning leadership, want them, the writers, to be physically prepared for anything, but not without any of the real knowledge that could actually help them on a strategic level. They're sending these graduates out really blind to the severity of what's going on out there, to the fact that this is actually really going on. You know, not to this to the degree where Navarre is, the wards are down completely, blah, 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 but like it's inching closer to this really and truly being a reality. I also think that this could be another propaganda tactic to really paint the Griffin Flyers as the bad guys, as the big yes. bad enemy, further cementing that there couldn't possibly be something like Venom. I agree with that last point entirely I think that like like you were saying it makes the dragon riders and the griffin flyers it just kind of like almost like competition exactly you know, like comparing themselves to them gfddd <laughs> we learned that fourth wing is going to be going to the southeast every squad however can choose which outpost in their region they can go to to help reinforce however wing leaders are being assigned to a post as headquarters to test their leadership abilities so first off what are the outposts gonna say when just squads show up like we know that they get their orders from the main outpost like fourth wing they're going to Athbane but what about the others because if they can just like choose their own adventure does that mean that every single outpost knows that squads are coming does that mean that like you know there's the exact number of squads and outposts so no matter what they're gonna have one like I just wonder like but it's five days like how is this what how does this work? I miss this. Uh, I, I told this. I, I miss this. So I'm so glad you're asking. So I don't. I don't have the text in front, right in front of me. But doesn't Dane's dad or, or Pancheck or somebody say that it is a first come first serve basis? So I wonder if instead of picking kind of like a free for all, it's more of a okay. Here are ten different posts, and you get to you know first come first serve with selecting which ones you want. And yet all ten of them are still participating. It's just about which one you want. So my assumption is that all of these outposts are in on the games, and they've created these scenarios. You know, just kind of think about like I I figured initially it would be kind of like Montserrat, where you know Mira and their crew they welcome second squad for shadowing. And what I don't understand though here is what is the scenario what yeah. what is this pretend war like what what are the dangers of it something like 10% of graduate of the graduating class doesn't come back from this what is so actually dangerous how they can't feign some kind of battle here and they're not defending an attack because so many of the outposts are you know in midlands and, and not on the border so what are all these other squads who are staying within the safety of the wars why is this exercise so dangerous for them? Also, like 10% of the third years, isn't that like one person? Because there's not many third years, aren't there? 
Or is there like a hundred? We don't know. We know at the beginning of the book, there was, give or take, 250 second and third years. And we know most of those were probably second years because more of them die. I'm just throwing this number out here. There's only 90 or even like 70 or so in Violet's class like by this time or even less than that because so many people have been dying in flight and in challenges. I don't know. So like five or less people basically is what they're saying. But at that fucking point... Just let them graduate. Like, I know. We have 10 days left. Come on. Like, that's just terrible. I do love how the first War Games is basically like capture the flag. And then to your point here, this one's just like, you're drunk. Get up and go. <laughs> like, what? How do the- they win? How do they score? How do they win? I'm, I have so many questions about what is supposed to happen with the War Games. So. Well, if... Re is like you know when Re and Violet meet up in Iron Flame, they could be like, "How was how was your War Games?" You know, <laughs> like it's just like so casual. But then Re could get a download from Re as to what they had to do. That's true. That's I hope true. so. Then this happened, and I'm quoting this word for word because boy, oh boy, is this important. Dane's dad, so he, Dane's dad, turns to each wing leader, giving out orders, but glances in our direction, no doubt looking for Dane, before he turns towards Zayden. Something about the way his smile slips for a heartbeat makes the hair rise on the back of my neck. Fuck these two. They would not pass spy school. No, no, they wouldn't. Like, Ah, rereading this whole section. The setup is all there. It is all right there. Only wing leaders have a specific location assignment, setting Zayden up to have to go to Athbane. Letting them choose their own squads, they probably knew that he would choose people he trusts, aka marked ones, and anyone else like Violet, who falls into this category, who is a giveaway, you know, that they're siding with Zayden. And Violet senses something is up with her observations and body reactions to this weirdness. And so I also have to wonder, could they have purposefully made this five days knowing that Taryn and Segale can't be apart for more than three. So that would open up a whole other possibility here that leadership, not Dane, but leadership was making sure Violet would have to go with Zayden because she had essentially showed her hand during their interactions that she had sympathies for the marked ones. Could this have been a way to eliminate her to to maybe have her planted there as a spy? I don't know. Again, but I don't think Dane would have been in on that part if the time length was purposeful to keep these two mated dragons together because he was so shocked that Violet was going to be going with Zayden and he tried to prevent it. I didn't even think about that. Oh God, that makes me sick. Speaking of things that make me sick, Zayden definitely knows The second he hears he's going to Athbane. Oh, yeah. He's like, oh, I'm going to die tonight. Or like, I'm getting set up. And then Imogen has this moment where she quietly speaks. Heaton is like, we're going to pretend war. And Imogen speaks quietly saying, yeah, I guess we are. And like, oh, my God. I think that when she heard the Athbane location as well, like she knew she'd be selected. She knew this wasn't going to be just war games. Well, I think she also knew like even if she wasn't selected, she's like, I'm going to lose Zayden. Like we're going to lose Zayden tonight as our yeah. leader. Oh, yeah. God. Let's think about it. We can assume that Imogen was part of this crew here that Zayden was going to be meeting up with the prearranged meeting very near that location in a few days with the Griffin Riders. Is this a big sign from leadership saying we know what's going on? Like we're yes. going to send you there anyway. 
I 100% like, think so. This could be Imogen being concerned that they might have to fight the Griffin Flyers that they're secretly helping and that they're supposed to meet up with and that this will show their hand if they don't fight them. Like even Liam, Liam is unusually tense and he knows something's up. He knew he was already going to be on Zayden's crew and that they were heading to real danger. It, I think it's safe to assume that Liam hasn't been part of any of these missions yet because he has had to stay behind and be Violet's bodyguard. So like he knows that this is going to be his first chance. <sighs> Can't uh. I keep talking about Liam. Poor guy. But also even the dragons are anxious. Like, do they know that something's up? Or it could even just be the buzz of the war games. I don't think so because I don't think they'd be as anxious about something as puny as war games. You know, like the Good first point. big war, war games, like Taryn wasn't anxious at all. He was ready for fucking blood. But like this war games, because the dragons are anxious, I think that they know on some level that they're being thrown into a trap. So that that would be my head can interesting there. yeah well and even later on violet even acknowledges that she knows colonel atos is giving the marked wing leader you know zayden his due by sending him beyond the wards even though she doesn't know exactly what getting his due means she knows something's up this is this is not a big secret here that zayden is getting set up for something way worse than war games and his crew knows it and the dragons i think know it too I love that Dane and he's like, we're going to go to the northernmost outpost in our region, which is definitely the safest. It's the furthest away from the borders and where the attacks are happening. And I'm just like, you coward. You fucking coward. I hate you so much. That just like, oh, that made me so mad. So as Zayden is walking over to get Violet, he has also, he has like these two swords strapped to his back. And I like, I see that so fucking vividly. But he's walking over. She thinks he's just coming to say goodbye. She starts stressing out about how their dragons are going to cope, which honestly, Lux, I hadn't even thought about the five days versus three. That just like twists my heart and makes me so mad. But Taryn says, don't worry, Silver One. Everything is as it should be. If this sounds familiar, it fucking should because Taryn utters this basically word for word at threshing when they're deciding can she keep both Andarna and Taryn. I think that this is Zayden and Taryn deciding together that it's time for Violet to know at least some of the truth of what they're really up to and that's why he's bringing her along and Taryn is of course up for it. He's he's there for it. So then Dane, Dane the Stain, God fucking damn it Dane, takes his biggest L to date. When Zayden comes over to get Violet and tells him basically like if she's saying goodbye to anyone, she's saying goodbye to Dane the Stain. Dane goes fucking unhinged. He is literally retorting back with like the fuck you are. This is your wing leader and he is like lost all decorum. But this really shows just how much Dane knows. We're very much in agreement that he does not know about the Venom. Like there's no way he does. But I do think he knows like they're going on a suicide mission. Plus he also emphasizes she's a first year and Athbane is beyond the wards. And then, you know, he's like, writers are known to die during the war games. It's like, oh, like Zayden? But like all the other marked <laughs> ones that you're about to go send to your death. And Dane also doesn't fight. Speaking of those other two marked ones, like he doesn't fight about Imogen and Liam. And it really just totally shows his prejudice. So Liam yeah. and Imogen are basically, you know, expecting it. But also like, I do wonder how do they know? I mean, I guess the second they hear Athbane, they're like, something's fishy. That's exactly what I was thinking. Like they all know that this is the setup. They, they, I don't think that they know nearly to the extent no. that this is but they're like oh boy this was not an accident it's like resignation almost mm -hmm. that they have so I have to ask here do you think that if Dane did not back down that Sigal would have just roasted him alive I fucking wish <laughs> I 
(laughs) There wouldn't have been any repercussions, right? Because dragons are allowed to kill people. It's not like Zayden told Segale, like, roast him, bitch. I am assuming, this is a big old assumption, that there is a rule or even maybe, you know, just like a little guideline that wing leaders are not allowed to kill outright the squad leaders that are in their wing. I'm assuming. That just seems kind of frowned upon. I, I, I would absolutely agree. <laughs> Take one of his like swords and just slice him in half. But I'm to be quite honest, like she could have. She totally could have. I wouldn't put it past her. I, like, I'm sure she's just been waiting for a good opportunity. And the way that Zayden's just like, oh, like, you want to ask the Gale that? It's like, yep, nope, okay, I'm not going head to head with that dragon. <laughs> I do wonder if that's kind of like a wink, wink, hint, hint. There's a moment where Violet is saying something along the lines of, I see Sigale for the death sentence that she always seems to me. It's something I'm totally paraphrasing, but that did kind of stand out to me as like a, oh, that seems very foreshadowing of like Sigil's Yes. Gonna, she's going to fuck some shit up. I do also have to point this out. Dane is like, you guys are an item? Again, how the fuck did he not know? Like this idiot. I need this explained in a future book. Like I also, I love the wording here. This is right after Dane sees the like arm touch and he goes like, no fucking way. Quote, it reverberates in my bones like a lightning strike. I just love the word lightning strike, not lightning, like lightning strike in that moment. So Dane is begging her not to go. He's saying like, it's going to get you killed. He's going to get you killed. And Violet is like, at some point, you're going to have to let this go. And I quote, Dane looks horrified for a second, but quickly masks it. If he's what you choose, he sighs, then I guess it'll have to be enough for me, doesn't it? Violet is relieved and even naively saying, oh, thank God this nonsense is all past us. This girl. Uh, That might be like one of the, the, no, that is the absolute most naive thing she or anyone else has ever said in this book. Even if things didn't play out the way that they do end up playing out, obviously, No one here is going to put this behind them. Like, based on the tension that they've all had throughout the year, based on Dane's obvious prejudice that she has noticed, like, that was very wishful thinking. (laughs) Oh, yeah. That was like a big blind spot. Yeah. And then Dane takes his... Is this his biggest L to date? I'm actually going back on my notes in the outline. I actually might think that him cupping her cheek at the reunification party was his biggest L to date. But this is a, or him trying to touch her with Amber Mavis. There's a lot of different big L's. There, there are. However, I do think that him, like, this is in its own category. <laughs> this is not a betraying her. This is a, okay, I'm just going to let you, I'm just going to send you off to die. Like, that's, that's just so what true. it is. It says, <laughs> quote, he swallows hard, nice, and leans in to whisper, I'll miss you, Violet. I don't have words. I don't have words. I do. He <laughs> fucking knew. <laughs> a, a lot of people have speculated, like, how much did they know? Blah, blah, blah. I highly doubt he knew 100% of the plan. Like, he just knows that they're setting Zayden up for his death with the outpost being abandoned, you know, and an attack coming. I firmly believe, and we were saying this earlier, I firmly believe that he is clueless about the Venom part of the equation here, which we are like 99% sure that the leadership is aware of that, right? Oh, yeah. He would be like incapable, absolutely incapable and incompetent in wrapping his head 
around such a possibility that Venom exists. Like it was hard enough for Violet. Think about him who has been drinking the Kool-Aid way more than her, whose career is being shaped and he is just buddy with leadership, right? He He's an asset to them like, and he is being used as such. And he knows that he is helping with the greater good here to get rid of Zayden and all of them. And unfortunately, now he knows that that includes Violet. And I'm not going to say he doesn't care because I think that he is in his own Dane way torn up about it. And he's, again, using this as an excuse because, well, Violet went with the bad people. She chose this path herself. I'm trying so, so hard to put myself in Dane's shoes. And like, imagine like I am so brainwashed to the point where like if my best friend since I was five years old is suddenly like I'm with these people who are betraying everything I I do not condone his decisions I do not understand his reasoning here in the slightest this is a bad look for Dane (laughs) it does make me wonder what is their meeting gonna look like in next book is she gonna have to just pretend like hunky-dory nothing ever happened like we're all good or is she gonna go the fuck off on him if she pretends like nothing happened if he pretends like nothing fucking, I will throw my book in a lake and I have one right there. Like I will throw <laughs> my book in a fucking lake if that happens. I, we're we're going to have to like have a whole section on this in our Iron Flame Predictions episode. Oh yeah. Which by the way, will be coming out on October 30th. So nice plug. <laughs> I also love the writing here. It says, I can't help but note both of the important men are walking away from me right now in opposite directions. And given the one I've chosen to follow, my life is about to change forever. Why, yes, Violet, your life is indeed about to change forever dun, dun, dun. in every possible way. Ah, <laughs> oh, like, yeah. Oh, by the way, I, can we can we all collectively agree that by now Dane should be officially downgraded from the important men <laughs> in her life? Man, <laughs> he's just man in her life. He is a ex friend, and I get it. I get it. Best friends, blah blah blah. But no, Mm-mm-mm. not since not, not this past year, girl. No, no way. So. Something really stood out to me and actually someone on Instagram. I looked for like 20 minutes. I looked through every one of our freaking messages since Friday. I could not find this passage where we were messaging back and forth. So I'm so sorry. Please message me because this was a really cool conversation that we were having. And I feel like such a dick. So please message me if this was you. There are six different moments in the book when the phrase, the hairs on the back of my neck stand up is uttered. The first is when Violet crosses the parapet. She's already crossed it and she holds a knife to Jack's ball. The second is when she feels Zayden staring at her in the rotunda on the first day of classes. Third is when she's in her first battle brief right after Zayden speaks. Fourth is when she finds Zayden in like the walkie talkie side of her mind, like when she finds the shadows in the archives. Five is Dane's dad and when him and Dane share a glance right before giving Zayden his Athbane assignment. And six is right now when all of the dragons are acting kind of off and quote, this wrongness in the air has the hairs on the back of my neck standing on end now this could be a figure of speech but this also feels like a very hey you're in danger moment because most of these were either perceived danger or danger but the person on instagram mentioned like what if this is like danger what if this is her body actually saying like hey zayden is a dangerous person which i definitely could think it is which i thought was really interesting but i just wanted to point out that especially the fact that two are back to back in the section about like you're about to go into danger you're about to go into danger something's wrong i just thought that was really notable And also, I think I misspoke. I think I said that when she first meets Zayden, there's hairs on the back of her neck. It's uttered a little differently. So I actually did not include it in here. So I misspoke. Oops. 
I'm a human. I love that point and I love that idea. I What about you, you said when she feels Zayden staring at her in the rotunda on our first day of class and then also during battle brief. If she's in class, there wasn't really imminent danger in either of those situations. Well, it was right after Zayden moved her to his wing, at least the rotunda. Mm. So I think that okay, was like yep. perceived danger. Got it. I think similar with Battle Brief where it was like perceived danger. It's the first time he's spoken out loud in class. I think it's like his presence was just like so great or something like that, that her body was like, oh God, we're in trouble. Again, that's my guess. But I'd love to hear your guys' thoughts on it. So Right into us about it. I'm curious. So in this particular instance right here, though, Violet feels like there's a wrongness in the air, right? Like you were just saying that. And while it's initially brushed off as just being beyond the wards and magic is wilder out here, I'm so excited to talk about this in today's archives. She's got to be sensing the venom. That like there's a wrongness in the air. There's oh, yeah. The best way that I can think of it is that there is uncontrolled magic in the air and, and it's not good, right? It's not the good. It's dark magic. You know what this hmm. reminds me of is in the cave – in Half-Blood Prince when Dum- – oh, my God. What's the line that Dumbledore utters? How magic only needs to be felt. You can't always see magic sometimes. Like, it's, it's about feeling magic, right? It's about feel, But, like, how he's able to see magic that Harry's not even able to feel or see. Like, I, this just feels like a very, like, cave comparison. Just, like, deeper I'll, – I'll call it, like, raw, like, real complex magic is at works here, right? I need to go back and read that chapter now because I know that there's a specific line that's, like, so close to it. <laughs> oh, it's driving me crazy. I have to wonder, are any of – the other writers feeling the same sensation or is it another nod to her power and the possibility that you know like she's something like a magnet or has a unique sense about the venom violet even admits that she's not sure if she's okay with liam and their conversation is kind of mixed about her general feelings of anxiety and then her being in over her with zayden and it feels like liam doesn't feel the same sense of wrongness that she does because his mind is on zayden and her mind is on like this wrongness and i feel like they're not fully aligned like they kind of get to the same level that there, but not really. They're on different topics. And I wonder if that means that he is not able to sense the same stuff that she is. Oh, I hadn't thought about that. I could totally see that. I also could see like maybe it's being influenced by Taryn since he is so powerful. Like maybe he's channeling a little anxiety into her, but I don't think so. I think that this is very yeah. native to Violet. So before our guy X-Man is about to take some big else. I need a moment of appreciation so that I can sleep at night. I love how much more open and at ease he is around his own people. Like the fact that he's just so chill, Zayden chill, he's chiller (laughs) than he is at Best Guy. It's really cool to see that side of him. He's also able to like really, you know, be open about their relationship. He holds her hand. He massages her legs and it's so dreamy. It's such a boyfriendy thing to do. Like such a good boyfriend, like where he sees that she's had a long day. She's had a long day of writing and he like goes and massages her legs. Like that's just so sweet. What? And then also he's asking her, you know, if she's gotten enough to eat or drink. And I think that it's both wanting to make sure that she's taken care of, you know, as a very boyfriendy thing to do. And he's preparing her to be able to wield to her full power, you know, like knowing something could go down here real soon. Or what if he might know that they only have so much time left together and he's wanting to spend this precious time with her. He knows that he's walking into something. Oh my God. Fuck, I think you're right. Jesus. And so I say all of that. And he also wants her to rest when he plans to take the third years out to patrol. Could this be him purposefully leaving her so that he can go off on his secret mission? Lexi, this is Zayden taking W's, not Zayden taking L's. (laughs) This is a good Zayden moment. But continue because you're probably right. I'm just saying, as much as we're talking about how he's going to bring her into the fold, he's going to share some of these secrets, it's time. 
it's also like he's really trying to ditch her. Jesus. <laughs> I do have a question here for you. We've talked about lines similar to this before, but I'm going to ask you again as our conversation continues evolving. What does Zayden mean when he says, quote, I've been yours for longer than you could ever imagine? Dreamy. He's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> he loved her on first sight. No, I do think that based off of what we know now, I do think it is that he fell. I don't think he fell in love with her necessarily on parapet, but I think he realized, oh, we have something deeper than just like any normal human connection. I think he realized that on parapet. So I think that is really what he's referring to. But could I see this being something totally different that we have yet to uncover and we're going to get more and more of as the series goes on? Buck, I hope so. If this is like some like like onion, like peeling back the layers of the onion, I would love that. I would love that so much. But I do think that this is some element of I realized that you and I were linked in a way that I could not describe the first time I saw you. That's how I gathered it. Yeah. I was wondering, I think that, yes, he has absolutely heard about her from Brennan. Yeah. But I also, like we've talked about, like where he wasn't able to fully size her up yet. But I do wonder if he felt a sense of responsibility to keep her safe, especially from people like Imogen, to keep her safe from his crew until he was able to size her up. And so I wonder if, you know, I've been years for longer than you could ever imagine, if it's almost describing keeping her safe. You would make it about politics. I, it's not about politics. It, I could see that. I do think that he's known about her far longer than we know about in this book. Like, I do think that there's some element of Brennan, but like, he thought, Brennan thought, and I'm assuming Zayden thought, based off of his reaction to her on Parapet, that she was going into the scribes. Yeah. So it, I am very curious as to how that went about. True. That's true. Because Brennan wouldn't have known. Yep. Yes, it's very cute and romantic. It is very cute and romantic. <laughs> I love this shit. So Zayden, my guy, you take a lot of L's right now. You're going to take a lot of L's in this section. Okay, so when he initially hides her in his shadows, is I have to ask, is he hiding her from the Griffin Flyers or is he trying to hide the Griffin Flyers from her? Because it's perceived that, yeah, like he's trying to hide her from the Griffin Riders because they certainly want to kill her, right? But it's also like, could, it's like, oh shit, and trying to hide them from her in his own way. So I always read it as he was trying to hide Violet from the Griffin Flyers like he didn't want the Griffin Flyers to see Violet I actually never even thought about it as oh my god I don't want her to see the Griffin Flyers because like she would hear the conversation they're about to have but I also think he panicked and he was like oh my god I think it was like gut instinct it's not a good look either way speaking of not a good look Zayden pinning her arms down and then passing her to Liam like her arms are pinned down and he just like like I wouldn't. Well, I, I will say, isn't that after like she tried to, you know, have lightning strike? Well, yeah, she like, was oh. trying to wield lightning at them, like trying to kill them on the spot. But still, not a good look. Like, not a good look in the slightest. Him saying, if you ever have trusted me, I need you to trust me now. This is digging yourself a grave, my guy. Like, absolutely digging your own grave. Because how fucking delicious. He hasn't trusted her with the truth. Yeah. And then <laughs> I need to know your thoughts. Like, when you first read this for the first time... I actually think I have text messages from you. From I need to get those and we need to put them on the internet. I think we do. <laughs> God, they're so far back in our history, but we really need to find them. When he says, you're fucking early, what were your thoughts on this on the first read? It was like, oh, like this is what his secret missions have been about. I wasn't, I'll say like extremely surprised because he is our morally gray 
individual. <laughs> he is our morally gray man. But, you know, now as I, I read back on it, it's like they were already planning to meet with the Griffin Flyers before the war game started. And I think that once the location was assigned, Zayden may have been worried that, you know, leadership was on to him. And this brought up more questions about if leadership knew he was meeting with the Griffin Flyers on this occasion. But as far as like just the mean, like that was my reaction to it. But when I think about, you know, the meeting behind Zayden saying, you know, like how you're fucking early, it shows, you know, that they were already planning to meet with the Griffin Riders before these war games started. And I think that also once when the location was assigned, that's when Zayden was a little worried that leadership was on to him because he was already planning to be at that location the following day. That just brings up more questions about how or if the leadership knew that he was meeting with the Griffin Flyers, specifically the timing of it. Like, how would they know that? Yeah. Or maybe leadership, you know, just knowing that their poor meal alleys were in the area. That's why they sent them that way, potentially that they would have to fight them or something and have to test Zayden against his alleys with the Venom approaching, you know, and, and that would be like leadership testing Zayden against his alleys with the Venom approaching because they already know that they're going up north. And, you know, in that case, it would just be a coincidence from leadership's perspective that Zayden was already going to go meet up with these Griffin Flyers yeah. the following day. Anyway, Zayden also says, you know, he doesn't have the full shipment yet. I think that he was going to get the full shipment from Athbane and then, of course, bring it back to them. Yeah. And Athbane, it's such a hot spot for attacks. Like, does that mean that it's plentiful in this material against the Venom that that comprises these shipments? Like, they must have, I also, like, they have to have somebody on the inside at Athbane, too. Not necessarily. If he builds shadows, he can just, like, cover the entire outpost in shadows and then just, like, beep. Sneak in, sneak out. True, <laughs> That's my like. True. I will say when I first read this, like the you're fucking early, I was like, is he the fucking villain? I was ready to turn on Zayden so fast. I'm really glad he wasn't. Thank God. Upon thinking about this question, I guess I, I kind of answered it in my head, but I want to point it out still. I guess the Griffin Flyers don't know about Brennan because yeah. one of the Griffin Flyers says, if you think you'll ever convince a Sorengill to risk their neck for anyone outside of their own borders, then you're a fool. And they're also just jackasses to Zayden and his crew. Like, to be fair, Zayden's not great back to them, but like, they're not very friendly. So I guess like Zayden does have a lot of secrets that he's also not even sharing with his allies, which does make sense, but still was kind of surprising. Well, and that's how I read it too, that I think that Brennan being alive, it's not common knowledge, even among the new rebellion here, and especially not among poor me. Like there's different motivations, there's different objectives that everybody's got their own agenda, right? And sometimes it does happen to cross over, but everybody's got their own thing going. They were definitely are not friends with Zayden. Like I think that Zayden and the female Griffin Flyer, like they have a good I'll say business relationship. Besides that, it is strictly business between these two. Like they might be allies, but they are not friends. And that's pretty notable here. I also have to wonder, you know, we we know that Taryn and Darna know what's going on, but Darna still wants to eat the I know. Griffins. Like, <laughs> like they look tasty. Exactly. And like I understand Taryn's like warning because like they were all they were threatening to kill Violet and he his first priority is going to be Violet here. But I think that, you know, like this has got to be Andarna's first meetup because she's like, oh boy, they look so tasty. And it's like, no girl, like you're still allies. <laughs> That's one of my favorite lines. It's like the Griffins look tasty from here. And it's like, oh, I I do. I was thinking about this the other day because you know we listen to the audiobook what is Andarna's voice gonna be in the second book because she's huge is it gonna change it's gonna turn into like Louise from Encanta <laughs> god I hope so my heart really does go out to Violet in this scene it is one thing to be the only person in a group of people who doesn't know something like that feels terrible enough but to have two technically three 
of your closest confidants having not said anything. Mainly like looking at Taryn and Andarna. Taryn says the only bond stronger than that between a dragon and their rider is that of a mate. And this does make me wonder though, like where does this leave Andarna? Because if Taryn and Sigail like have like a fingers crossed, like, you know, pinky swear, I will not tell anyone situation going on. But like Andarna doesn't. Her first bond would be to Violet. So I'm bummed she didn't get told anything. This makes me sad. I think in that way, Taryn would have that influence where it's like, where he probably had to convince Andarna at some point, like, hey, this is for the greater good. Like, we chose her for a reason. She will know eventually, but it's not this time right now. And Darna doesn't want to hurt. She wanted to do the right thing. And in their perspective, this was the right thing. But I 100% agree with you. Like, my heart just goes out to Violet. I love this stretch of, I mean, I don't love this stretch of chapters, but like, I, I love the sequence about her finding out and coming to this conclusion. And it's literally just all these puzzle pieces that are coming together. And while we don't have the full picture, we do have enough to recognize the full picture and that's what she's going through with the fables book her dad's letter the venom killing daggers like the one her mom has it's all adding up and it's just crushing her and the way that it narrates through her emotions is just incredible well and this does and i'm going to add this to the theory episode because i don't want to get too deep into it here but like it does make me wonder is this going to cause a rift between violet Taryn, and andarna you know with their first meetup like is she going to address this you know it does make me wonder it and we'll get into that on the theories and predictions episodes for iron flame so there's also a another quote that i'm going to pull and that is is this why there have been raids along our borders They've been looking for the material we use to power our wards. I read this on the first read and I was like, oh, the Venon are looking for the things to power their wards. So this totally went over my head. So I'm just going to call this out. But it's the Griffins. The Griffins are raiding these outposts along their borders where the wards are faltering because they're looking for this material that will kill Venon. That just went so over. I feel like I've read this book so much. And yet I'm like, did I read the same book that we're covering on this podcast sometimes? Because I'm pretty sure so much of this went over my head. Um, Well, even as we've been talking, you know, as you all know, like we don't do this super deep dive reread until kind of like we do it episode by episode. So we sometimes misspeak or we hypothesize about something. And then it turns out later that there's a hole in that because of information. This right here is definitely one of those where this is confirmation that the venom they They have not been the ones attacking the borders. I I know that some people are going to disagree with me there. I am going to stick to my guns because it has been the Griffin Flyers because the Venon, they have not come this far west until now. But we get that confirmation from the Griffin Flyers and Zayden and crew are absolutely shocked that they're spreading this far west, right? So this is a new development here in the story. Woof. Also, we learned some other really crucial information here. It is established now that Zayden and his crew purposefully don't know details about the Venon. You know, he says, you know that none of us can know details or we put everything at risk. All it takes is one of us being interrogated. That is a very loaded line. And that really sets us up for a lot of conversations for talking about Iron Flame and how all that's going to go down. It makes me wonder, Zayden knows that they can't fully trust shielding when it comes to interrogation. Zayden is an excellent shielder. I'm sure that he has practiced with his the marked ones to make sure that they are also excellent at it. And yet that is not enough to know all of the information that they probably wish that they could know because it, it's not safe enough if they were to be interrogated. It 
it also makes me wonder, are they not able to trust Emogen's mind wiping ability? Or they don't think to use it or they can't use it. If they do find out more information, you know, does this go back to if they erase the memory of learning about something, but it's not that necessarily the knowledge itself and therefore leadership, even if they don't have the memories of them finding out about this, they still would have the knowledge about Venon. I don't know. This. Just <laughs> <laughs> this like this download that we get here is just so like I feel like I need to read this chapter and the subsequent chapters that finish out the book like four or five times before we even write the outline for this because it is yeah. so packed with so much information that I feel like we're barely even still scratching the surface of this stuff so my only answer is this. And I even have it in the outline in all caps. This. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that this is also really notable that, you know, Zayden and his crew, they have a lot of secrets already. And this secret about knowing even more about the Venon would be too much. Like that yeah. is, he has his, that is his boundary right there. Does this mean that simply knowing more about the Venon than they already do know is a bigger risk than all their other secrets, you know, including supplying the enemy with weapons and like the revolution gaining momentum in Arisha. Like there's a lot of big things here. And yet this would be the straw that broke the camel's back. Yeah. Later on, we also learn that Zayden is giving the Flyers weapons to fight the Venon, not Navarre. So we've talked a lot about this at length too and wondered if Zayden and crew knew the people that they were supplying with weapons were then turning on Navarre and immediately attacking. It. Yeah, because that doesn't really add up with like Montserrat. And yeah. the like, I mean, even Mira was saying she has like this huge new scar that yeah. is from a griffin. The fuck is this? There was that one from, yeah, from a griffin flyer. And then... In Montserrat, when the wards were faltering and Zayden's pack was lighter and we can assume Imogen was off, like they were eight, probably aiding these griffin riders and then oh, they're yeah. going and attacking. It, this part, it just really doesn't add up. And I have to ask, you know, like why are the griffin flyers attacking villages and outposts after Zayden gives them the material they're raiding for? Because those materials that are used to power the wards, those are on like outskirt outposts, right? Those are only... Or are they everywhere? We don't know exactly. We can assume that they are in high altitude spots because those are getting hit the hardest with these ransackings. Yeah. But this material, I'm assuming it's some kind of raw source of magic. Yeah. The only thing that can kill venom, besides lightning, is when these materials are turned into weapons. So that is what all of these Griffin flyers are going out and raiding for. They're looking for these materials. And so if they're looking for those materials, that's also the materials that Zayden and crew are giving them. So exactly. why would Zayden give them all those materials and then they go to go raid for even more of those when they were just given some of them? Maybe they're just like pissed at Navarre and they're like, well, we need fucking more and we're mad at you guys for not doing anything. So it's like kind of easy for them to turn on them in those instances. But the, wouldn't that piss Zayden off? Well, I think Zayden's kind of like, look at the bigger picture here. Like, you know, with the Venon and wanting to do that. Like, I think he's kind of turning a blind eye on it, which is mm. not cute. It's not a good look for our guy. I do think he's I that's kind of what I always assumed is that he was just turning a blind eye I don't know the sequence isn't adding up to me I'm not I, I don't buy I don't buy that so it did hit me though that when Zayden was asking Dane this is right after threshing if he would break a rule to save Violet's life I think that he was asking like as a test like 
would you run to leadership immediately if you see something you're not supposed to? So he knew from that answer from Dane that was like, no, I'd let her roast and I'd be totally fine and sleep at night. He knew that if he told her something and Dane saw the memory that Dane would immediately run to leadership and exactly like he did with Athbane. But it's a line like this that does really stand out to me in the is Imogen going to wipe her memories? Is she going to keep her memories and shield? Violet says, I could have built shields that would have kept Dane from prying. There are just too many, like, you can have shields to, like, have people mentally blocked out. For me to think that Imogen is, but also, like, I mean, her signet's not going to not be used. Like, it'll be used in some way. I know we talked about this a lot in the AMA episode, so I won't get too into it. Yes, I am going to stick to what I said in there, which is I think that the shields, they're not safe proof enough. And Imogen's mind wiping ability is going to be the safety net that they need. So here's another thing that I totally missed for. Like, I really felt like I was reading this chapter for the first time when we were dissecting it over this freaking podcast episode. So Violet, when they're flying from the like little, you know, lakeside mountaintop area to Athbane, she's like, you know, doing her Ravenclaw thing. She's working stuff out in her head. And she realizes the archives have tomes that cover the last 400 years of Navarian history, but their history covers 600 years like the Navarian history is 600 years old so there's 200 years that are just gone and going back to her dad's note earlier it takes one desperate generation to paraphrasing erase history and those 200 years were just erased and I think we kind of talked about this earlier but I really do want to dive into it here do you think we're going to get some of these in iron flame like do you think we're going to get some of the backstory or do you think that'll be like more of a book three book four thing well, the, if any of these tombs do exist, and if they are anywhere, I bet her dad would have known where it is. And so I, if there is anything left, maybe it's with his research in his secret location that we don't know about, but Violet does, and I can almost guarantee we will go there in one of these next books. I do think that the point, however, is that all of this history has been erased. It wouldn't just be lurking around in a few corners uh, for the past 400 years. And I think that is why the Fables book is forbidden. Again, like it's almost like the only thing that's left from these 200 years, or it was more likely created afterward as a children's tale being like, ha see, we're not really telling the truth. And then they were still like, no, 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 you can't do that. I, I do think that Fables book is the only real evidence evidence that we do have but her dad is going to have something something, something. <laughs> there's going to be some kind of like daddy soaringale info drop somehow god yes. i can't wait for it okay so we get to the abandoned outpost and in the first missive that we read from lilith's desk during squad battles there is a desperate plea for reinforcements or else they're going to have to abandon the post at athbane Guess what they had to do because Lilith didn't fucking send in reinforcements like a little bitch. This explains why the outpost is abandoned. Originally, I thought, oh, well, like they just had them abandon it. Like Dane's dad was like, oh, just abandon your outpost. Meh. But like, how long has this place been abandoned for? Like they're walking into a ghost town. I think that it was just abandoned. So we actually don't know. Maybe Lilith did send in reinforcements and it was still too much. And then they did have to abandon it. I don't it. think she like, sent reinforcements. I don't <laughs> think she's 
no way. <laughs> the concerns and worries that they'd have to abandon their post was about six months ago. And because the Griffin Flyers, they don't know, like when we were just had this meetup with them, they did not know that the outpost is abandoned. My guess is that this is a recent development, that the post was abandoned. I personally believe that the outpost needed to be abandoned anyway, like what we were just saying. And leadership finally gave the okay when they knew that Venon destroyed a nearby area and then were moving closer. They did not want anybody at this outpost with Venon actually coming up to knock on their front door. And so it lined up perfectly with, oh, hey, let's send Zayden Ryerson in that direction instead. And, and then as far as the reason why the Venon are even going in this direction and continuing to go west either means, one, they were called by some magical pull and leadership knew their position, so they sent Zayden that way while abandoning the outpost, or two, leadership knew they were in the area and communicated with them somehow to keep heading west. And then that is when the Athbane outpost got their orders to leave the day before. It was the day after the nearby Venon attack and immediately following the info Dane provided leadership. So the timing here like just kind of worked out really nicely here on the, for leadership. Also, we have to think, how did this letter for Zayden get there? How did this letter for Zayden get right? there? So I think that the Athbane outpost was also sent this letter for Zayden from Dane's dad's. It was sealed, so they didn't read it. And this was included in the instructions to get up and leave. And that is how the letter for Zayden got there. It was included in the leave now instructions for the outpost. Fuck Dane's dad, dude. <laughs> right? <laughs> Fuck Dane's dad. Jesus. He also, another just thing that I'm throwing out, he was not at the reunification ceremony the day before, so he could have been on his dragon and gone to <sighs> Athbane as well. So it's notable he wasn't there at the event. Good fucking point. That is a good point. So you got to wonder if the Griffin Flyers were attacking so frequently months and months ago when that missive was originally sent in preparation for this with the Venon spreading west. Like, are the Venon looking for the same materials that Pormiel are? You know, we know that this material can kill Venon and it powers the wards. If it powers the wards, like I said earlier, it must be some kind of raw source of magical material. Can it also make the Venom more powerful if it's used the right way for them? And I bet that as the Griffin Flyers take more of this material that powers their wards, over time it weakens the wards. So I think that the wards are faltering partly because all of this raw source material that powers them is getting taken away. And this outpost has gone, you know, back and forth between territories 11 times. It's got to be a hot spot for the Venom killing material. It might be why six months ago it was just getting pummeled with attacks because poor Emil knew that the Venon were heading this direction. Yes. Convinced. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. And just like last, you know, with it being abandoned, you know, Zayden jumped to this conclusion pretty quickly that this wasn't just part of war games. Like this is his third war games. We have to remember that. And although I'm sure that the war games are different every year, he knew that this was going to be different because he knew that he was being set up in some way. And he's just not even surprised that this is happening. So there's a very specific line right after they're figuring out like, oh, we've like locked in we check we have been set up so Zayden figures out the whole god fucking damn it Dane has been touching her and he learned about Athbeen again more on this in just a moment but Violet says I would know if he read my memories and I quote Zayden's face falls and his hand slips towards cradling the back of my neck no violence trust me you wouldn't Trust me, what does that mean, Zayden Ryerson? That's a heavy lifting, trust me. What are your thoughts? 
I think this has to mean that Dane has read someone else's memories and Zeta knows it, but the person whose memories were read didn't know it. I think that maybe this initially is what had Zayden on the alert with Dane. I could not disagree with you more. (laughs) (laughs) This is like 100% Zayden having some kind of mind power signet. You know, if he's reading Violet's thoughts, she wouldn't know. Him saying like, trust me, Violence, you wouldn't know. If someone was infiltrating your memory or infiltrating your mind, that's how I took it. I did not take it that way at all. I thought of it as a very specific to Dane that this might have been like Dane accidentally showed his cards at some point and Zayden still doesn't know that he did, but Zayden picked up on it because, yeah, I... Yeah, maybe. Well, let's move on to something that's pretty concrete, and that is the death of me count. So in last section of chapters, we had a lot of hint, hint, wink, winks, like, oh, this like this is so much that it'll kill me. But there was one quote, you're going to be the death of me. We have more than one in this <laughs> section. So right after the calf, like, I'll get on my knees moment from Violet, there is a, you're going to be the death of me. There's one on the parapet when she's trying to like be like, come in. Side, honey, you're going to be the death of me. Not necessarily a death of me, but Violet saying, I'm not going to survive this. I'm going to die right here in this bed. And then Zayden responding to her non italicized thoughts, might I add, then I'm going to die here with you. And then the last death of me is wanting you will be the death of me. That's right before they go to formation. So that's four death of me's in one book, at least for these two stretches of chapters. That's nerve wracking. <laughs> Hate that a lot. But something I. <laughs> really love and hate at the same time is it's time for my favorite section of the podcast, which is God fucking damn it, Dane. This is where we look at all the times that Dane touches Violet's face and we speculate what he was trying to learn. And this is the last of the book. And there's actually only one in this stretch. And it is probably the biggest one we've ever had (laughs) at the reunification party. This is really one of the only times that we know for certain what he learns and reads in her memories. But here is my question. So this convo with Zayden about Athene was 1.5 months ago. And Dane said recent memories. In the AMA theories episode that we just did, we figured that Dane's strengthening of his power, Dane's strengthening of his signet throughout the year is not necessarily being able to touch anyone anywhere to read memories, but instead it's being able to go back further in time to read recent memories and then maybe not so recent memories as well. I mean, if we're looking at now 1.5 months, he can go back minimum. That is terrifying. There is some speculation that Dane actually got the memory from Liam when they were sparring on the mat. We talked about that in that episode. Personally, the cups her face is just way too like alarm that I just think that it's so poetically infuriating that it is Dane getting it from Violet. And again, if he's strengthening his signet, it makes sense that he's able to go back further and further in time. So uh, I also, and we talked about this earlier, but the fact that he was just talking to Melgren, Lilith, King Towery, and then basically just like beelines it over to Violet, that's not a coincidence. And then last thing too, when Zayden says, you know, like, no, did he like t- touch her face like this? And then he cups her face. And it said cups. Exactly. It says cups. And again, that is not an accident. That is not an accident at all. That is how cups her face has been throughout this entire book. It's brilliant from Rebecca. I love this. So our final touch count is where it was one face touch in this section. There were three other just like 
touchings in this section. So that means there were 10 total face touches in this entire book, 24 other just touches and random, which means total touching in fourth wing from Dane Atos was 34. Woof, my guy. And we might be one or two off. And if that is the case, be kind about it. <laughs> Let us know, but be kind about it. That's yeah, all. we're not the best when it comes to math. And, and we've stared at this text quite a bit. But yes, let's round out the signet side of our episode with the major elements of foreshadowing. Quote, every fable in this book is about how too much power corrupts. So maybe he felt like someone in leadership was corrupt. And then she immediately brings up General Melgren and just joking around like, oh, I think he's a Venon. I don't think he's a Venon. I, I really personally don't think that. Like, I, I don't think someone would be able to shapeshift like that back and forth unless he has some random signet of shapeshifting. But obviously we know this guy is bad. The fact that she's talking about too much power corrupts and then immediately brings up General Melgren, that is not a accident. I agree. We also get Devera saying, that's a good idea, Atos. A very wing leader answer, if I might say so. Why do this, Devera? Why do you do this? But this is also what cemented, especially on the first read, this was what cemented the idea that Dane is definitely going to be a wing leader next year. Zayden saying to Violet, Liam will be here next year to make sure you're not doing asinine things. No, he no. won't. He will not. But it does get me thinking, like, if anyone is going to be watching out slash bodyguarding Violet. Knowing Zayden, yes, he will have someone, but I wonder who. Probably Imogen would be my guess. Probably. Or, Probably. I mean, also remember, like, she can wield lightning now. Like, he might be like, okay, you're good. I've seen you kill some venom. <laughs> you know, that's actually a really good point. He might trust her now to have, hold her own. And then, quote, this is from Zayden again. I used to think of it as a curse, and now I realize it is a gift. This is, of course, foreshadowing that Melgren cannot see the outcome of battles if three or more marked ones are present. And, of course, as we're talking about his relic, we have to wonder if it also means that it gives him a second signet. You know, th this would be quite the gift, right? But I, we got to throw that in there as a possibility. Violet notes that the one good thing coming from graduation is that they'll be able to talk to their loved ones again. And, oh boy, does she talk? to a loved one again maybe not like technically after graduation but close enough you know like she talks to Brennan again I, I have to wonder what does this mean for her and Mira like how will she communicate with Mira after she's discovered Brennan's alive like is she just going to pretend nothing's going on like, that's just so not Violet that's so not Violet she's so blunt and honest yeah and she's keeping a lot more secrets like she was just starting to keep secrets in book one and she was feeling really guilty about them and oh, I girl. think that is going to change I'll just say that I, I think it has to for the good of the realm <laughs> oh man so so much foreshadowing about Violet trusting and loving Zayden quote as if knowing him would somehow make me want him less but everything I learn about him only makes me want to tumble harder and faster well Later, Zayden says on the flight field, quote, thank you for trusting me. And Violet replies with always. Ah, oh, that's oh, man. It's described as Zayden pausing like he's going to say more. And it's like he knows her trust in him is about to be seriously tested with learning some of his secrets. And it's like, oh, like I, my heart kind of goes out to him in that moment. 
And at the same time, it's like, ooh, you dig your own grave there, buddy. That's so painful. That's painful to hear. Ree says, quote, I can almost taste that squad leader designation for next year. I do think like 100% Ree is going to be a squad leader. And I'm so excited for her. But it's followed immediately by Violet asking Liam, what about you? Want to distinguish yourself with glory so you can rise to a squad leader? And he responds with, we'll see. And being described as he's unusually tense as we keep walking. He already knows something is up. He might not survive the night. And that's just like, oh, God. Something a little less makes me want to cry is at the watering hole, like at the like lakeside mountain view, the grass is described as trampled, which means we're not the first riot to rest here. You are not. That is correct. Griffins have been there. Why was no one concerned about that? That would immediately make my alarm bells go up. It's so close to the outpost that I, my initial thought was, oh, it could just be, you know, riders and their dragons, you know, exercise practice area. I don't know, something like that. That's Which true. it wouldn't make sense for them to abandon the outpost to go to. And, <laughs> and then let's go work out, guys. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it's absolutely the Griffins, though. And last one, when the Griffin Flyer is explaining that the Venon are heading north, quote, they were unmistakable Venon and had one of their, their what? Their sages? Remember, there is one particular Venon that is, we, we wonder if he's like the master or the sage. Like the or staff. Like the, he's like the head Venon of all of them. That's the best way I can explain it. And I wonder if that's what the flyer meant by had one of their like masters, one of the big, bad, extra bad Venon. Interesting. I always thought it was Wyvern. Like, and they had one of their Wyvern with them. That's what I always took it to mean. But it could be both. It that, could be either. Ugh. It could be. It will be. It'll be all that and a whole bunch more. I can't wait to talk about Wyvern because I'm going to go on a soapbox about Wyvern next episode, let me tell you. I have my Dragonology book here that we can reference with about the Vi- Wyvern. Yes, we do. <laughs> As we get into our second to last fourth wing archive section, don't worry, we will absolutely be doing these when we do Iron Flame as well. Today, we're going to talk about the wards and their importance and just kind of all things wards because we've talked so much about them, but not like fully what they are, how they apply. And of course, like so many other lore concepts in this book, we're still learning so much about the wards. But here's what we know so far. Let's start with what are wards? Wards are essentially physical, magical barriers. They can be used to do something as little as lock your door or something bigger, like create a bubble around your kingdom. Remember how in at the Battle of Hogwarts, how they created like those big, they weren't even, they were like stronger than Protego shields all around Hogwarts. And then the Death Eaters were like trying to get in. That is really kind of how I think about the Navarian wards here, right? As a visual picture. So only those bonded with dragons, so dragon riders, are able to create these wards. You have to be able to channel magic in in order to build wards of any size. And remember, only dragon riders are able to channel magic, so only the dragon riders can create these wards. The reason for this partnership between dragons and humans is rooted in the human's ability to channel their magic and create these protective wards. Dragons power these wards through their bonded riders, and dragons rely on these wards that their humans build to keep their kind, specifically their hatchlings in the veil, safe. Wards are, of course, lesser magic for all dragon riders, and it can be a signet powers for certain writers. Like I said, all writers are able to weave wards to some degree. They learn early in their wielding education to use wards to lock and unlock their rooms. Technically, only the person who created the ward can unlock it, although there are some exceptions, like Zayden creates an extra powerful ward for Violet's room where he and her can go in and out. And before Violet can channel her magic, her room is locked by the wards. And Amber, of course, unlocked these wards to let the unbonded in. I'm assuming that these standard wards are set up for everyone's rooms, so only 
only the owner of the room can go in and out, like how Zayden set up for her later. These lesser magic wards can also serve as security alarms, like how Violet wonders if they'll set off any wards in her mom's office when they're in there. In their third year at Biscayeth, writers learn how to build the large-scale wards, which are essential to protecting the Navarian borders. Out on the front lines, writers work together to reweave these wards that keep faltering along the borders. So that's what we mean by all writers are able to weave wards to a lesser magic degree. Now let's talk about how wards can be part of some writer's signet powers. So Mira, of course, is a great example here. She can single-handedly extend wards to protect those in the larger vicinity, like her squad. And she has this extra powerful ability to weave wards, which of course is priceless for their military defense. Now Nadine, which who is in second squad with Violet, she has the ability to unweave wards, which comes in handy, much to Violet's surprise. Um, I'll be really curious if she keeps popping up in the story with those unweaving so. wards ability. On a similar note, we do know a few dragons can sense when wards falter, even from an hour away. We learned this from our very first day in Battle Brief. I'm curious if dragons' special and unique powers can also have to do with wards, because it seems strange that only certain dragons can do it. And remember, all dragons have their own unique powers, which we don't know a lot about yet. So maybe they also have certain strengths when it comes to wards like humans do. So now let's talk about the all-important wards around the kingdom. There are protective wards all around Navarre, and only dragons are able to channel the magic for these wards, which means only dragon-channeled magic is possible within these wards. Inside these wards, which means inside Navarre's borders, griffin and venom magic do not work. Venom would be powerless inside Navarre's borders. How important is that here to the story? This is why Navarre is somewhat circular. The dragon's power radiates from the veil, and it can only extend so far, even with the squads channeling this power and keeping the wards in place at every outpost. So it's pretty cool. That's why uh, the veil is pretty much in the center, and that's why Navarre is kind of like a circular kingdom. Without these wards, to quote Violet, we're fucked. It would be open season on Navarian villages when the raiding parties from Pormiel inevitably descend. So we can guess that 400 years ago, Navarre realized that, hey, they can channel these protective dragon magic-only wards, so they put them on up and left Pormiel to deal with the venom on their own, hence why they've been in a never-ending war for the last 400 years. Some of the only things that can kill Venon is the very thing powering Navarre's wards. How this works in connection to the dragon-channeled magic that powers the wards, I'm not exactly sure. My guess is that these wards are created through the dragon's power and then strengthened or held by this unknown material that we're learning more about. But we do know that there is a material which we can guess is primarily in the mountains, and this material is forged into weapons to fight the venom, in addition to powering the wards that keep the very venom out. How ironic, right? Speaking of wards and venom and all of the impending doom here, let's talk about the wards faltering. The wards are faltering at an alarming rate all along the borders. It's my understanding that they're faltering most frequently along the southern border and more specifically at higher altitudes. When our crew is in battle brief and learns the wards are faltering for the first time, they are absolutely shook. This does not happen, or at least it's not supposed to happen. Also, a big question on all of our minds. Why are the wards around Navarre faltering so much and so frequently these days? Well, we don't know the number one answer, but we do, of course, have several theories for this. 
Number one, the Venon sucked the magic out of the Barren Lands, and now they're moving into Poramil and now coming extremely close to the border of Navarre. I don't think that the Venon are specifically targeting the borders and making the wards falter. Again, it's a really big deal, even to the Griffin Flyers at the end of this book, that the Venon are so close. So this leads me to believe Venon being this close to Navarre is very, very new in our story here. But Venon could indirectly be causing these wards to falter as the magic in the earth is being sucked dry. Remember what Zayden had said about what his dad told him when he was a kid. And by sucking the magic dry in this earth, it's extending now to these wards and it's affecting the strength of these wards. It's making them falter because it's weakening these wards by literally they're just being less magic in the world. Number two, the Griffin Flyers. They have figured out how to break the Navarian wards. The material that they're looking for in their raids Power the wards, remember, and in addition to killing Venon. So what if that same material that powers the wards can also cause them to falter if used in a certain way? As the Griffin Flyers get more of this material from their raids, they are more capable of causing more wards to falter, therefore allowing them to raid more, right? It's a nice snowball effect there for them. Another thing too is as they take more of this material, that means that the wards are just in general weaker because there's less material to power the wards, so they're Therefore, there's not as much strength for the wards. I am definitely kind of leaning towards the idea that this material is having the opposite effect, that the Griffin Flyers have figured out how to kind of do the opposite, which is weakening these wards in order to then go and get even more material. Well, and I also wonder, like, since they're harvesting this material is what I'm guessing, because they're harvesting it, the weakening of the wards, like, that to me is the reason why the wards are faltering. I think that's definitely possible. Tormiel's not going to give a fuck because they're like, hey, you fucked us over for 400 years. (laughs) Exactly. Um, Another thing with the Griffin Flyers, I'm not as crazy about this theory, but of course it's possible. They could have the power to unweave wards and are now taking advantage of this because they badly need to get these materials. I think that this is less likely because dragon channeled magic is more powerful than griffin channeled magic and if they do have this capability it kind of weakens the point of wards in the first place but you know unweaving wards is absolutely possible as we know with nadine's signet so it's not out of the question that that select griffin flyers have a similar ability i think that there's a lot more to these griffin flyers knowing about the wards faltering than we currently know in our story for instance they are attacking in illogical places like high altitude at opportune times which is when the wards are faltering meaning they knew when the wards would fail we don't know if they knew this beforehand and then just timed their attack well or if they caused the wards to falter in the first place i'm kind of leaning towards the latter because it would just be too opportunistic for them just to attack at a right time. But instead, they are causing the wards to falter and targeting it. Number three, and the dragons themselves, they could be causing, whether on purpose or accidental, these wards to falter by, you know, could the number of bonded dragons or the dragon's trust in Navarre indeed be causing its protective wards to weaken? They asked that question right there in Battle Brief, and the answer was, we don't know. <laughs> Oh my God. It's like, well, it's never been a problem before, but never say never kind of thing. Whatever the reason, as Violet says, either we're weakening or our enemies are getting stronger. I personally think it's a combo of both. You know, I just kind of listed three different things that could be causing it. And truthfully, I think that it's a combination of all three of them. And that is why this is happening at such an alarming rate right now. There's been an increase in attacks over these past several years, but it really feels like concentrated within this year that things have really ramped 
ramped up and gotten extra bad. And I think that it's a culmination of all of these things happening. That's that for the wards faltering. Now let's talk about just being outside of the wards, which is where we go for the very first time in today's chapter stretch. So many Navarian defense posts do exist beyond the safety of the wards, like Athbane. Because they're beyond the wards and the dragon-only magic guarantee, these outposts are considered extremely dangerous. As a dragon rider, Violet describes leaving the protection of these wards as, quote, a pulling sensation on her chest, then a snap as they cross the barrier of the wards. I love that. Magic is wilder beyond the wards. It's less controlled beyond the wards, and I just absolutely love that. I also have to wonder if that's another reason why griffin flyers are not as powerful is because their magic isn't able to be, I'll say, contained in the same way that they are within the wards in Navarre for dragon magic. Also, speaking of dragons, it is easier for dragons to communicate within the wards. Again, magic is crazier. It's a little bit more out of control outside of the wards, and therefore, it's almost like that direct line of communication isn't as strong there for these dragons. So they have to consider that when they're going into battle, as we do learn firsthand. So I hope that clears things up a little bit there with wards. Again, we don't know a whole lot, but that is what we know. That's what we're leaning towards with wards faltering, and I can't wait to learn more about them in the next few books. I'm so excited to learn more about the wards and just like everything around. I'm excited to learn what the fuck this substance is. I want to Me know, too. like, is it an ore? Is it a, like a fairy dust that just like, you know, kind of like I, flies around? I think it is a, a mineral because yeah, it is same. used then for weapons. Do you think that it's a mineral that is literally within the mountains? You know, you were saying like harvesting them. Like, I want to say like mining for them. But we also yeah. know from the first battle brief that it wasn't, a, I'll say, a mining town that was raided. So I don't think that Navarre itself is using these materials. They just know that they exist to help power the wards and to help strengthen them. But of course, they're not using it to fight against Venon, and they're just pretending like it's not a big deal. Um, when the Griffin Flyers, of course, know that it is to the point that I don't even think those at the outpost and, and these villages know that that's what the Griffin Flyers are looking for. Oh, my God. I'm so excited. <laughs> Last but not least of this episode, let us take flight with our favorite moments. I can't believe you didn't already have this one on here, Nicole. Zayden's classic line, it might be awkward in front of all these people. <laughs> I can't believe I didn't have that on there either. I have, I'm, I'm looking inward and I'm feeling shame. Like I should have had that on there. Speaking of things that happen in Battle Brief, when Devera is saying everyone needs to be in the courtyard for reunification day and to wear dress uniforms, she stares at Riddick and he says, what else would I be wearing? Devera says, one never knows what you'll come up with. Oh, I just love it. This line from Violet just summarizes Zayden so well. Quote, he had protected me when I needed and taught me to defend myself so I wouldn't require protection forever. I just love that so much. Me too. I love this line also. Violet says, Liam, you know that I adore you, right? And he goes, well, that's nice. She goes, go away. <laughs> I love their relationship. I do too. I also love Zayden is like, are you done putting yourself in harm's way to get your point across? Probably not. That's something I would say. A hundred percent. That is something you would say. Zayden also says he prefers her throwing daggers at his head versus getting tangled up in her own thoughts. I wish. I wish. <laughs> Fucking wish. Of course, just all of chapter 32. Everything in that line, especially the, oh gods, which god are you calling out for Violet? Because it's only you and me in this room and I don't share. You, I'm calling out for you. I appreciate the <laughs> elevation of deity, but my name will do. 
She literally has that memorized. That is not here on the outline, folks. Re, I also want to point out how good of a friend Re is. She like slings her arm over Violet, covering Zayden's jacket so that Dane doesn't have a hissy fit in the middle of formation. I also love Indarna dismounting from Taryn. It says, quote, Taryn pops a talon onto a latch and Indarna plops to the ground, shaking her head, body, then tail. Like, I just see that so clearly. She is not toothless. I don't know what she is. I also love Violet saying that hurts so wonderfully. Thank you. We all know that feeling. That feels so good. (laughs) And then last of mine, I love how overprotective Taryn is in the last few chapters. Like, don't get me wrong. I'm mad at him. I am mad at Taryn right now. But he roars at Liam when Zayden literally passes her to Liam, which again, bad look, my guy. But he like roars at Liam and he's like, got it. No touching. And then when this peach of the Griffin flyer was talking about ransom for Violet, he just snarls. Our girl cracks thunder above him. Like, I just love that these two are so on the same team, at least in that moment. Not so much for the rest of that chapter. And then the Griffin Flyers calling Navarians disbelievers. It just cements the truth that much more. I love that they're called the disbelievers. And then, you know, we were just talking here about Taryn. And it's not so much a favorite moment, but I really do appreciate this from him. His sincere sadness and empathy for what Violet is going through. You know, he's been stuck between a rock and a hard place. And he understands that he did break her trust, even if it was for a good reason. And I'm proud of him for owning that. You know, I don't remember when it was in, in the book, but somebody's said, you know, dragons don't make mistakes. This is a dragon literally owning up to he made a mistake. And that is huge. And, you know, he's validating her. He's admitting his mistake. He feels bad about how it all came to light. And, you know, he didn't expect the truth to come out in this way. Nope, nobody really did because the Griffin Flyers were a fucking day early. But he knew heading this way that something was up and that she would learn some secrets. I'm pretty positive about that, even if Zayden was trying to ditch her at the outpost later. Taryn and Zayden had a plan to share some info with Violet, but when the Griffin Flyers arrived early, like it all just went out the window. And Taryn really is sorry about how that all went down. And then just on the subject of Violet being betrayed by everybody she loves. It I just like how again it's not a favorite moment, but I just really appreciate the writing here and how it plays out for Violet learning the truth and going through all of these emotions. I don't feel like we we talked too much about it here in today's episode because there was so much else and it was just kind of woven in. But I just want to take a moment to say how well written it was, and it really feels realistic for someone who is experiencing that. You know, we can sympathize for every single person involved. You know, Violet obviously for being lied to and in this position where she's the outsider among her chosen family. Well, not so much chosen on her side, but you know what I mean. Zayden, obviously, we're sympathizing with him for how the truth is coming out. And we know he is a good guy. Maybe some questionable things there, but we know that he is. We know that he's doing this for for the good. And then Liam, oh gosh, I feel for Liam too because of how he knows he's betraying her and he doesn't want to, but you know he owes Zayden everything. So of course he's going to have to side with him. And then lastly here, I love how Violet says she believes Zayden, but she doesn't trust him. And how Rebecca knows the difference between those two things and makes it clear with Violet's narration in her own in her monologue that she does recognize the difference there between believing someone and trusting them, even in the mix of all of these emotions. It really shows some great self-awareness of Violet and her ability to respect and follow the truth, even when it is as painful as it is. And again, that's a huge reason why Taryn and Andarna chose her in the first place. They knew that she would believe the truth, even if it hurt. 
God, I love this book. It's so good. I love Violet. Like, I really enjoy her as a character and as a main character. Ugh. Me too. Sweet friends, that is it for our second to last fourth wing deep dive episode. Holy hell, where has the time gone? I'm excited to go to Iron Flame. I am so excited for this next episode and I know everyone is too. We are all like, it's almost like the pressure's on as we finish up this podcast because it's like we have so much we want to include in them. I am nervous for next episode. Like low key, I am nervous, especially with everything that we've been tagged in in regards to like the resurrection theory and everything like that. We're going to do our best y'all but I'm nervous but and then of course we're so excited for Iron Flame that'll be coming up remember that we're going to be doing a reactions podcast episode on November 10th and then on November 20th is when we're going to be starting episode one deep dive Iron Flame same concept as all of this here you know with the sections all of that we are so excited to dive into that so November 20th mark your calendars for the first episode of a deep dive of Iron Flame and a few of you guys have mentioned like a comment on the gap there. We just want to be clear. Here's why there is such a gap. Because of the amount of time that it takes for us to outline and get ready for these episodes. Plus, we want to make sure we have all the archives planned and like how we're going to break down the chapter. So it is going to take us a little extra time, but we know how excited you guys are for it. We're going to get it out as soon as possible. And that is just as soon as we possibly can without Mm -hmm. driving ourselves into the ground. (laughs) So we appreciate everyone with the patience on that. And it'll give everyone an opportunity to not only read Iron Flame, but then go back and probably reread Iron Flame before they reread it with us because we will be doing the same. (laughs) And of course, like we mentioned at the top of the episode, go get your merch on. I'm so excited. We have stickers, we have shirts, we have sweatshirts, we have candles, we have blankets. There's so much in there. I'm so excited to get my hands on some of this merch. I designed some of this and I was like, I want this. I'm so excited. (laughs) I want this so bad. So like we said, the link is in the show notes. Go check it out. And of course, if you're not already, follow us on Instagram and TikTok at Fantasy Fangirls Pod. Main party is over on TikTok behind the scenes fun is on Instagram stories. And of course, rate and review the podcast. I think I copy and pasted this from the first episode because I said we're still a baby podcast. So this is really helpful. (laughs) I don't know if we're a baby podcast anymore. This happened so fast. We hit 100,000 downloads today. Holy God, that's insane. That is truly a testament to you all and how much you have shown up and shown your love for the show. So thank you so much for all the ratings and reviews you've done. If you haven't already, please, please take a few seconds and just hit that five-star button and or write a little Apple review love note. It really means so much to us. When I say that we still share them back and forth, even when we get like numerous in a day, we still share them back and forth and just freak out about it. And of course, share the podcast with your fellow fourth wing Friends, you guys have been amazing with sharing the show. And I do think that is one of the reasons it's has grown so quickly. And that is a true testament to you all. Thank you from the bottom of our hearts. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. And we will see you next week for our last episode of Fourth Wing. Woo! Covering chapters 36 through 39. Wow. Ooh, That's going to okay. be a packed four chapters. <laughs> I'm going to cry. I know I'm going to cry. I'm going to cry too. (laughs) I'm going to cry. (laughs) We love you all. Thank you so much for being here today. Bye.